Oddities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I don't know where Ricky Verona is, because if I knew where Ricky Verona was, I'd probably be there right now beating the Gucci off of his ass. <laughs> great, great line. Um, the other, uh, my alternate was, uh, I, I, sh- I didn't go back and check this one. I think this is what uh, Chev Chelio says in this movie when he's talking on the phone to Kalo. Uh, he says, and I'm dead, you're simple, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are talking Kronk. Crank would be Kronk if, uh, if there, ooh, the A had an umlaut, I think, maybe. I don't know. But it's Kronk, you know? Like, hush was hoosh, Crank is Kronk. Uh, that's a strange thing to say. <laughs> you know, you say potato, Rob says putato. <laughs> putato. <laughs> putato, yes, yes. Uh, so, yes, Kronk, uh, Kronk's new groove. Kronk's new groove was a thing, right? Why does that sound familiar? Was that a TV I, show or something? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, Emperor's New Groove happened, and then Kronk, I don't know, did he get to retire? I, I feel like I remember, well, I'll have to see if uh, if I can dig that up, uh, if it's a TV show or like a straight-to-video movie, but I feel like there was some spinoff of Emperor's New Groove called Kronk's New Groove, where he was like teaching kids how to cook or something. Like, not the audience, but like kids in-universe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a great start to... A Jason Statham series, Ben, <laughs> discussing <laughs> discussing Kronk, a character from an animated movie. Uh, I guess that kind of does fit because I would say the Jason Statham in in Kronk, Crank, of course. Uh, not only Jason Statham, but the camera and the editing is all very animated in this movie. I would say <laughs> it never stops moving. It's all it's all very uh, squash oh, and stretch. <laughs> definitely. Um, I, I was actually going to bring this up as a as a follow up to possession for the cinematography. Um, does this count as cinematography? Giving the cameraman speed. <laughs> I, uh, I I get it I, at at the bare definition. Yes, you know. I mean, like something falling is technically going fast. So you know, a, a camera being thrown is technically a a cinematography technique, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm curious now, what's a bear definition, uh, and how does it differ from, like, a koala bear definition? Oh, <laughs> and a polar bear definition? Yeah. And a black bear and a grizzly bear? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's all coming together. Uh, okay, so we are here. I'm actually really excited. This was something that uh, you threw out pretty quickly because we were like, well, um, we had some we had some plans. We were like, uh, you know, oh... We wanted to talk, you know, uh, the inspection that left theaters pretty quickly. We have to wait for that to come to streaming services. We'll do that one day because uh, I love doing, you know, animal collective scored movies. Um, gonna do the whale eventually. The whale seems to uh, being, you know, gonna go wide sometime. Uh, it did not come out in theaters the day I was told it was gonna come out, which I was very upset about. Um, we we have some stuff in the books, but Ben and I were like, God, what the like? Okay, what do we want to do? And Ben was very much just like, let's do Jason Statham. And I think you mentioned you were like, well, we did The Rock already. Like the next natural progression in that, you know, if The Rock set shit straight, 
I, I guess Jason Statham, maybe not setting shit straight, but being Jason Statham. I don't know. What was the, um, I, I remember you threw it off just like so offhandedly and I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, cause that there's actually things we want to talk about with Jason Statham, possibly a new movie. If, um, you know, things actually get released, which seems weird these days. Um, but is this like Jason Statham sets shit straight or is it just Jason Statham? Like what's the, what does Jason Statham do in your eyes? <laughs> if I remember right, I think I said Jason Statham hurts people. Ah, um, that, that, that's a good that's what he does yes <laughs> alternatively jason statham gets guns pointed at him <laughs> that's that is true they do point guns at him a lot uh almost as if he were in a star wars movie <laughs> i hope that you recorded it or i hope it i hope we were recording when i said it because i i don't remember uh but that's kind of what i'm inclined to think is is jason statham uh hurts people and does legit martial arts choreography because like those are that's pretty much all he does Yes, and be British, absolutely. Yeah, yes, he is. He is British. <laughs> I, I'm actually really excited to talk about Jason Statham because you know I was just like, oh yeah, you know, I, I, I was like, let's do it because, like I said, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of Guy Ritchie movies, which of course going to come up, even though you know. Kronk is not a Guy Ritchie movie. Um, you know, Guy Ritchie's going to come up in the Jason Statham conversation, and I was like, yeah, there's a bunch of those we want to talk about. Let's do it. As I was, you know. Watching this movie for this recording and then doing some of my research, I was like, oh, it's Jason Statham. We want to talk about him. And I was diving into him a little bit more. I kind of realized it was like, oh, I have, like, in in comparison to The Rock, who, you know, if, if you remember, God, what, over two years ago now, Ben, I think we did that series. I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of The Rock. Uh, I think that, you know, when he takes himself seriously, it's too serious. When he's showing off his charm, it's too goofy. Um, and I, I really do prefer Jason Statham. And so I figured, you know, right at the start of this, we can just jump right into Jason Statham before we get anything, uh, into this, into this movie at all. If you remember Ben way back when, um, I, I really hit hard when we talked about the rock, when he was setting shit straight that, you know, he's like our generations, Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I was like, he just pales in comparison to Arnold because, uh, whether it be a nostalgia thing, I think just the the staying power of Arnold. Maybe I think I mentioned like the rock tried to do. Well, it's probably in part because he became a governor. So you can't forget him now. It's like this dude became a politician. Because he's the governor. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I think I mentioned that I think the rock tried to do the, uh, like the, the Arnold thing too, too fast, too soon. Like the rock was trying to do like serious movies, action movies, and the kid friendly or family friendly movies, like all at once where Arnold like kind of had phases in his career. Um, but you know, we, we litigated that already. Everybody go back. You can listen to those episodes. Um, but so I was thinking now like, okay, Jason Statham is, I think very much in parallel to the rock, like our generation, another one of our generation's action heroes. Like he's a guy that everybody knows. Okay. It's a Jason Statham. He's in this movie. I know exactly what to expect. (laughs) People are going to point guns at him. He's going to hurt people. He's going to do some stunts. He's probably going to drive a car. Uh, things like that. He's going to be British, of course. And so I was thinking, like, well, does he have an analog from, you know, the Arnold time? And I think there is one. I I would say that Jason Statham is, like, our generation's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Are you familiar with Jean-Claude Van Damme movie Uh, or him at all? Yes, I am. And Jean-Claude Van Damme is definitely better than what I was thinking. It's like I was afraid for a second you were going to bust out like Steven Seagal, and I was like, no. Rob. <laughs> Steven, Seagal's, Steven Seagal is our generation Steven Seagal. He's been a weirdo his whole life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. 
But yeah, John Claude Van Damme, I like he was in uh, the Street Fighter movie back in the day. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And that's that is a good comparison, I think. And John Claude Van Damme likewise actually could do some martial arts. Exactly. I don't know if he did all of his own stunts the way that Jason Statham does, but. Probably pretty close. That I don't know either. I'm not. I've seen, you know, of course, I've seen Jean Claude Van Damme movies, not a bunch. Um, but but I do think that there's. Once I, I thought this, I think there's a lot of you know similarities. Of course, between The Rock and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they're both huge dudes. They are both muscle bound. Um, you know, they they just you know they they have that thing where when they walk into a room everybody should be like, holy shit, like, look at you. Like, you are a superhuman type of thing. Um, They they both, since they're so muscle-bound, they both can't really, you know... They don't move with finesse. You know, they're clunky because of their their build and things like that. Compare that, you know, to Jason Statham and Jean-Claude Van Damme. They're not muscle-bound. They're muscular dudes. They're in shape. They're fit. But... They have like the the martial arts background. They have the the stunt background. They can actually do like finesse. They can do fight choreography. Whereas Arnold and The Rock can just like punch. And I feel like most of the oh, time, The Rock tackles people. All don't <laughs> don't undersell his ability to tackle. The Rock was in a movie where somebody played football, <laughs> and he tackled people. Multiple movies where people played football. I think you know. I feel like The Rock and Arnold Schwarzenegger. They they can tackle. They can punch. They can maybe kick, but most of the time it comes down to, like, I'm thinking of Walking Tall. They need a weapon of some kind. Right. They need to use their environment to knock out some bad guys and things like that. Right. They're resourceful. um, Yeah. That kind of thing. Whereas they they fall back on their general ruggedness and and resourcefulness as opposed to, um, you know, a Jason Statham or Jean-Claude Van Damme type of character who falls back on their skill and training yes yes and and that's that's really cool to me and i think uh and you know also of course something jason statham and john claude van damme didn't uh, don't have uh, compared to the rock and arnold schwarzenegger is you know the rock and arnold schwarzenegger can always reach down to their thighs or their glutes and rip out like four steroid needles and throw them like shuriken at their enemies and stuff (laughs) like that um jason statham we never see him do that i think the rock does that in like the tooth fairy even it's it's just crazy um (laughs) i think that's the yeah that's the rock i was thinking because vin diesel's in one of those weird family movies also yeah um but so now the other thing that I, I found really interesting in once I, I thought of this comparison, I was like, oh, you know, like Jason Statham is our new Jean-Claude Van Damme. Like The Rock is our new Arnold Schwarzenegger. I also think that their careers have gone in a very similar way where Arnold Schwarzenegger was always like once he got going, he was a big movie star. And sure, he was in some like stinkers and stuff like that you know movies that didn't that didn't get off the ground but they were all like if arnold was in a movie even if it was something like you know eraser or end of days or collateral damage even in when in his older age like after he was governor and he was doing some some other movies like i think he did some like zombie movie where he was protecting a house or something like that which which might be called like house at the end or the street or that might be a different movie whatever (laughs) Like the last house near the left. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the last house on the left before that last house on the left. Yeah, um, but, but not like, the one on the right. Even when he was in those movies, they were always just like in theaters, tons of marketing. Like his oh, yeah. name was I on mean, the he poster. Puts butts seats. Exactly, yeah. and I think The Rock is the same way. You know, even though uh, The Rock is now what in in um 
like Fast and Furious world, basically. Yeah. He still has other movies, and they're all like like uh, this year, or yeah, this year. In, in time of recording this, Black Adam. It's like boom, like The Rock is Black Adam. Sure, it's a DC movie, but everybody ignore the fact that everybody dislikes a lot of those DC movies and just go see The Rock as a superhero, you know. Right. And compare that to, like, Statham and Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, of course, he's a known name. Everybody can recognize that name, even if you haven't seen a lot of his movies. But, of course, like, as Jean-Claude Van Damme got older, he did a lot more of those, you know, maybe not straight to video, probably some of them, but, like, you know, the the smaller movies. Like, he'd work with some of the uh, the more, like, low-budget directors. Like, he's in one of those Albert Pune movies that's, you know, just basically, oh, we just shoot in rubble and have people kick each other, and it's a fun action movie type of thing. Okay. And, and so, like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, while people know his names, it like, when he was in a movie, it would be like, this is more of something that... I'm going to rent at a blockbuster, you know, in the early 90s. Because, like, oh, right. yeah, it was like, oh, we, we want to find a cool action movie. Oh, Van Damme, he's in, you know, Punch Kick McGee or something like that. And so yeah. they just pull no, it off it, the it's shelf. It's definitely one of the names that, yeah, like walking through a Hastings or a blockbuster. Yeah. You would look for his name on the case if you were looking for an action movie, absolutely. Or, or rather, if you were looking for an action movie and you saw his name on the case, yes. you would know that was a safe bet. Exactly. You're going to be like, this This might not be you know high art or anything, but at least I'm going to get to see some punches, some kicks, and he's going to do some cool fight choreography. Um, right. And there'll be a goofy bad guy that wants to like hijack a satellite to blow up you know Cuba and steal gold or something like that. Right. It's fun for the whole family. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm starting to sound like a martial arts version of James Bond. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme is Goldeneye. Like, none of the characters. He is the Goldeneye satellite. <laughs> um, I, I feel in, in, you know, the analog to Jason Statham with Van Damme, I feel that Jason Statham, and, and you know, after I say this, I think there's, there's another comparison I want to make between our two little, like, movie star, you know, conti- generational movie stars. I think Jason Statham is very much like a Jean-Claude Van Damme because Jason Statham, while he is in these movies that are big and, you know, go to theaters, like Wrath of Man, for example, that poster was Jason Statham, like, holding a gun or something like that. And that went to theaters and made over $100 million. It was a very successful movie. That also had the Guy Ritchie factor to it. Jason Statham, like, looking through his filmography, this dude works. Like, he is prolific. And mm-hmm. a lot of these movies, uh, you know, in between the ones where he's in those big theatrical releases, like the, you know, Fast and Furious, where he is either Hobbs or Shaw, and we all know, as I've talked about in this podcast before, you you cannot determine if he is Hobbs or Shaw. It's a millennium problem. It's an unsolved problem. Um, and don't tell me, because, Ben, if you say, oh, if you go to Wikipedia, it says he's Shaw, I will go to Wikipedia, it'll say he's Hobbs. It, it changes. It's like a quantum state. Nobody can tell me who he is. Um, okay. The Expendables as well he's in. When he's in these movies, sure, he's big in those, and those are huge, you know, like, uh, like near-billion-dollar movies and stuff like that. But in between, he's doing that, like, straight-to-red-box shit, you know? He's doing that stuff with smaller budgets where the poster is, you know, him standing there, like, screaming or in a car or holding a gun, and people, you know, just will see that and go, oh, it, like I said earlier, it's Jason Statham. What's he going to do? He's going to punch, he's going to kick, he's going to fuck somebody in Chinatown, and it's fun for the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and he, and he may use a gun, but most of the time, 
He'll, he'll use a gun as a melee weapon. Yeah. And, like, hit people with it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so that, and that's the thing where I'm like, oh my God, like this, this comparison is so apt that, you know, he is our Jean-Claude Van Damme in comparison to where The Rock is our, when I say our, I mean our generations, Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the thing that I, the thing that I continued to think about was, as I know, as I, I talked about earlier today and back in the Rock uh, series, I don't, I, like, I think The Rock pales in comparison to Arnold. Like, I think The Rock, like, whether he tried to do the whole, like, breadth of genres, you know, too too fast or something like that, and he didn't really have those phases too, in his career. Too fast, too furious? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Too fast, too furious. I don't know if he was too furious when he was making Tooth Fairy. Well, he might have been, but... I in the like juxtaposition, I think Jason Statham has exceeded Jean Claude Van Damme. Where I feel like Jean Claude Van Damme like petered out, where he, he did uh, do a lot of those straight to videos or you know, a blockbuster on the shelves, like small budget, you know, just action movies and stuff like that, where you know, Jean Claude Van Damme kicks someone into a concrete wall and you can see the concrete wall like wobble because it's really styrofoam you know those types of movies jason statham i think is is doing the having a similar career trajectory but is doing it way better like he's still like he's he's somewhat you know in in a in a vein where he's not just like oh it's jason statham at a red box it's like even if it is like a, a straight to red box or straight to streaming movie, like, you know, the new guy, Richie operation fortune, ruse de guerre is the name of that movie. Like when that comes out, people are going to be like, huh, Jason Statham, I'm going to check this out. And it's probably going to like get good reviews in comparison to like picking up a Jean-Claude Van Damme in the mid nineties from blockbuster. And you go like, that was fun. I have entirely forgotten the concept of that movie after like the credits rolled, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll forget the concept of the movie, but you're not going to forget the part where he flipped a car upside down to use a crane to get a bomb off the bottom of it. Sure. Sure. And that's what matters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, Jason Statham is, is, uh, I prefer him to the rock. I, I definitely prefer the, the skill, like you said, the, the fight choreography rather than the brute force of the rock. Um, and also, I mean, just to keep comparing these two while, while we're on this, and this is going to, you know, I think get into Jason Statham's on-screen persona. Every time The Rock tries to be funny, I mean, it's worked before, don't get me wrong. I, I have seen comedic things with The Rock in it, but when The Rock is, like, trying to be funny, I'm always, like, groaning at it. And I think it's because he's trying to put too much of his own charm, you know, because The Rock in, in real life is like an incredibly charismatic and charming person. I have nothing against him personally. I mean, he's a he's a famous person and, a, and an Internet celebrity, Internet personality for a reason. But I'm always just like you're leaning in, into it too hard. Like you're like, oh, I know that people find me charismatic. And so he's like really trying to flex that muscle. Jason Statham, when he's comedic, it's so dry and just, like, maybe it has that British dry wit to it where it seems like he's he's playing it so seriously that he's not flexing the muscle, but it's coming off better than The Rock trying to be charismatic and clever, if that makes sense. Do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I will definitely say that whenever Jason Statham uh, – let me put it this way. Jason Statham doesn't really make me cringe. Okay. Uh, the Rock occasionally does. That's a really good way to put it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just to – not to jump ahead, but I mean when – like the the wonderful exposition dump in the first ten minutes of Kronk, when it's Jason Statham, you know, whipping his car around, calling everybody he knows. 
and explaining the plot of the movie, basically. You know, the, he calls the doctor, and the, the receptionist picks up, and she, he's like, oh, leave a message. And he says, Chevchelios, and she goes, can you spell that? And he goes, D-E-A-D, Chelios. And I'm yeah. like, that is hilarious. But you know he's playing it so seriously, and so, like, it's actually like he's pissed off in the moment. And it's, it's just so dry, and it's there's just a juxtaposition of him being serious, but it being so funny where the rock is trying is is not having those two channels and it makes it cringe because you know he's he's commenting on the fact that what is it San Andreas is the rock is like a an EMT or something and he, he flies a helicopter sideways down a ravine in like the first 10 minutes of that movie and then after he saves the dude he gets out of the helicopter he makes some quippy thing about like you know they didn't teach me that in the academy or something like that and it's like shut up Shut up! You had a really cool action scene. Why do you have to quip about it? It's, it's like the Marvelitis thing I've talked about, where Jason sure. Statham doesn't need to quip about it when he fucking, you know, grinds a car in a mall escalator and jumps out of it, you know, to get away from the cops or whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we do get a little bit of a quip in this. It's not a quip per se, uh, and it's definitely not as, like, heavy-handed as the rock shit, but, like, I think the doctor calls me. He's like, what are you doing? He says, driving through a mall. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so it's you know, it's like he's he's being like straight up like it's it it is straight up him saying what's happening on the screen. But yeah, he he's not he's he doesn't even drop like those lame like catchphrases or whatever that mm-hmm. you get from like shitty superhero movies. Yes. Uh looking at you Marvel. Um uh, speaking of which, and this is we don't need to talk about it any further than this, but Thor Love and Thunder is fucking atrocious. I have not seen it, but I have heard not great things, of course. <laughs> Did you see uh, Black Adam? Just because I, uh, I didn't. I don't think I, we've ever talked about it. I haven't. I don't. I don't think it has performed well. Okay. But I haven't seen it, and I don't know if it's any good or not. Okay. Uh, okay. I've I've heard that the thing is that it's The Rock taking himself way too seriously again, like oh, really? like being like, oh, I'm I'm badass. I'm Black Adam, you know, and uh, I'm The Rock being The Rock being a superhero was an inevitability, of course. You know, yeah. but I, I just, I, I don't think it should have happened. But like I said, it, we couldn't do anything to stop it. So whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those like, oh, what do they call like lynch, lynch points in, in time. That yeah. No matter which, <laughs> no matter which time stream you're in, every, it's gonna happen. Every multiverse in, uh, in the, uh, in the multiverse of uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. No matter how many times you verse jump, even if it's the, uh, the hot dog fingers universe. The Rock is a superhero at some That's point. Right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, it it makes perfect sense that The Rock is a superhero, uh, or I guess in I guess the Black Adam's kind of what an antihero. I don't yeah, truly know. Yeah, he he definitely seems like that kind of personality. I, I guess the only thing that would make me think like lean against or away from that is that he was kind of too well known. Uh, whereas, like, I feel like a lot of the the Marvel superheroes, like Tony. Uh, you know Robert Downey Jr. Like he's he wasn't nobody, but he wasn't famous like The Rock when he became Iron Man. Absolutely, I I, I feel like I've heard stories where when they announced that uh, you know RDJ is going to be Iron Man, the people who were you know in the loop were like like the heroin addict is going to be Iron Man. You know, it's yeah. like he's not. A, I thought he wasn't insurable that type of thing. Um, I think another good example is when they got Chris Hemsworth for Thor. Like yeah, oh he yeah, was Chris Hemsworth was completely unknown. Yeah, yeah. And everybody was like, who the fuck is this dude? I mean, well, everybody was like, we have no idea who this guy is. We hope it works out. But it's probably going to work out because he is one of the most beautiful people to ever exist. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. The Rock being 
a superhero is like it's it's yeah. so it, it's maybe that's another comparison to the Arnold. Like Arnold never became a superhero. He was a supervillain once. He was Mister Freeze in um, Batman right. and Robin. But you know that movie is so maligned. Maybe that scared the Rock away from you know ever doing something like that again. I guess to be fair. Arnold in Jingle All the Way in the last act dresses up as Turbo Man, who's a fictional superhero, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that's a little more, you know, poking fun at the superhero. But it's like The Rock never showed up as, I mean, uh, Arnold never showed up as, I don't know, I'm trying to think of who he could be in like the DC, I don't know, Solomon Grundy or something like that, you know? Um, he, he never, oh, yeah. he never jumped into that, that, or Gorilla Grodd, he might be a good Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> yeah, he would, he would be a pretty good Gorilla Grodd, or, or a good Solomon Grundy, I think those are both good picks. Um, it's just, there's something about, like, there's something about seeing the villain as somebody that you recognize, yeah. doesn't feel as, as, uh, as out of place as seeing, like, the main character as someone you recognize. You're right, Like, yeah. you wouldn't, you wouldn't cast somebody, like, not this is maybe a bad example because of the age, but like you wouldn't cast somebody who was known for something else as Harry Potter. Like mm. you're not going to like, let's just say for, for whatever reason, the kid who's like really known for Richie rich is up for the Harry Potter role. You're not going to be like Richie rich and the dungeon of secrets or whatever, you know, like it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you're just not going to do that because you want the movie to stand on its own or, yeah. you, or you want the character in the movie to, to gain some fame yeah, and you don't want him to yeah. be forever under that shadow of Richie Rich or in this case under the shadow of just The Rock as the on-screen presence that he is. Yeah, you don't um, want that baggage, absolutely. And especially with The Rock who has so much more baggage than his movies, movie on-screen persona. Yeah. He has he has like his his brand and stuff like that. Like even like Jason Momoa as Aquaman sure. or Henry Cavill as Superman. It's like they were not well known before that. Not that they hadn't done anything but that they they didn't have an identity except Momoa a little bit with Cal Drago, but mm-hmm. not to the same degree. That definitely, the Rock yeah, yeah. So, definitely. so I don't know. In that sense, it's like I find it a little weird that they would cast The Rock as Black Adam because you're like, oh look, The Rock flying around with electricity, um, instead of being like, oh look, it's like it's Black Adam. Like this is just somebody. Yeah. Who's when you put it that way, it makes me think. Uh, for me, in a way, I never thought about it, which. I'm now going to, even though I'm never going to see the movie, just thinking about it. And I'm sure some people who went and saw it in theaters felt this way, that you see The Rock, you know, flying around, having super speed, shooting electricity out of his out of his hands. You got to be like to some, to, even if not consciously, somewhere in the back of your head, be like, this is just vanity. Like, this is just a vanity project. The Rock wants to be like, oh, well, like, I, this is the next natural extension. You know, I'm, I'm, I am, I, he hosts that, that, uh, it, it's not called like superhero. It's like a strongman show on NBC or something. Or he did. I don't know if it's still on. And it's like, well, that's the next thing. It's just, he can be a superhero now. There is some level of vainness to it, it seems. Quite possibly somebody might see it that way. I think what's more likely is you're just going to get people checking out and being like, oh, I'm watching The Rock punch things. Sure, sure. Um, which is which is great. You know, there's a time and a place for that. I just feel like in the world of superheroes, it's a little bit of a strange decision. Whereas, like, e- even with a character like Jason, or even with a, an actor who's as well-known to me as Jason Statham, I still wouldn't have that many qualms with him becoming, like, Lex Luthor or somebody. Well, <laughs> oh, that would Lex be, be wild. <laughs> Lex Luthor is kind of a villain, depending on which storyline you're following. Sure. I mean, he is a, he's a main villain, depending on which storyline you're following. So it's a little bit more in that realm of, like, Mr. Freeze. But, like, if there was, like, a superhero that he fit the bill of, like, Jason Statham just isn't quite as big of a name as The Rock insofar as I don't think he, like, overshadows things. Despite the fact 
that when you see his name on something, you know what you're getting. You you know what to expect, and you know it because of him. Yeah. He still doesn't have that like that intense presence in in my mind that he would overshadow the character. I would just be like, oh, Jason Statham plays a dope ass whatever. Yeah, you know, as opposed to being like, that's just Jason Statham in a costume. Yeah, his bag. Jason Statham's baggage is just the movies you know him from. It's it's nothing right. else, you know. Right. And and that's the thing. You're absolutely right. It's like I you said you'd you'd be fine with seeing Jason Statham as whatever, you know. It, whenever if it does come out, the new Guy Ritchie movie, Operation Fortune comes out, it'd be like, oh, Jason Statham is. Uh, it, I don't even know if he is this in that movie, but like let's say later this year, you know, a new Jason Statham movie is announced, and we read about it, and it goes like. Okay, like Jason Statham is a hitman. And it goes, Great, sign me up. I actually have this is actually the tenth Jason Statham hitman movie I've seen on my punch card, so I get to see it for free. And I'm going to, you know? <laughs> and it's it's like you're you're just totally on board with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um and I I I think that that's a testament to Jason Statham as a performer. Like he doesn't despite the fact that you know what you're getting, he doesn't do anything that like singles him out as a person other than the fact that he's like talented in terms of his like stunt performance yes. and martial arts. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't have a particular way of delivering lines or a particular like gimmicky personality. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He maybe doesn't even have that much of a personality in most of the movies he's in. And maybe that's why I could see him playing somebody else where it's like the rock is his own personality. Yeah. Yeah. And he plays the rock in a lot of the movies that he's in. Yeah. Jason Statham has somehow been able in all the years that he's been, you know, active in in movies, which has been a long time. And his first movie is 1999. And, you know, and he's just been prolific as hell since that in movies. He has zero TV credits of like an acting. I mean, he's done TV and interviews and stuff, but he's never been like a character on a TV show ever. He's only been in movies. And throughout this whole time, he's just like kept it. He's he's made himself just the purely enjoyable, likable audience surrogate, no matter if he's, you know, trying to stay alive or actively killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's fantastic. And I, I think something that, uh, on that same thing about his performances is like you said, you know, he, he's he's kept himself so like everybody knows what a Jason Statham is type of thing. But, you know, nobody is going to be like, oh, like with the rock, you said the baggage, you're going to be like, OK, this is his gimmick and this is his personality. Jason Statham can like mold himself slightly into all these, you know, very similar, but, you know, somewhat different roles. I don't I haven't seen every Jason Statham movie. I do not think there is a single performance of Jason Statham. I would love, I was trying to do some research. I would love to, for someone to correct me on this. He has never not been British. I think he just keeps his regular old, you know, natural born accent in every single movie he's ever been in, which is fascinating because you'd expect somewhere down the line, someone would be like, oh, why don't you try like, you know, an American accent or something like that or, or anything. But he's always just British, right? <laughs> Uh, I don't. I can't recall. Is he? Is he British in Death Race? I have not seen Death Race in a very long time, but I think so. That's that's like the only one that I'm like questioning. Okay, okay. Question. I, I definitely think. I mean, I know he is in Snatch and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yes, those yep. are like his first movies. Which actually, I, I found out something kind of interesting about about how he came to be in those movies and how he became to be like Guy Ritchie's, you know, golden child. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe he maybe he does keep the British accent in in all of his. Uh... I think he, at least in all that I've seen, I think he's. I think he 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 has, um, which is fascinating to me because it, it's kind of like you know, 
It's one of those things that you keep seeing someone do a certain accent in movies or TV shows, and you just think that's their natural one. Like, I, I'm still, like, maybe I, I, like, pop up, I, like, wake up one day and look at, like, the news feed, and it's like, turns out Jason Statham is, like, you know, from Alabama or something like that. It were, where it's like, I remember that when I was younger, the first time I found out that, like, Hugh Laurie was British after seeing him in House for so many years, fucking, like, lost my mind, you know? <laughs> yeah, and Hugh Laurie does, like, a, a perfect American accent. Oh, yeah, that's, like, the pinnacle of a british person doing an american accent i think um him and andrew garfield andrew garfield's american accent is fantastic um yeah i think that's another one a lot of people when when like andrew garfield is doing press for um spider-man uh, multiverse of madness or whatever the fuck that one we talked about was um he, he was doing interviews in his like natural accent of of, of british and people were like he's british <laughs> Gotta gotta find out, uh, you know, sometime. Um, but look, you mentioned it. Let's get to it. I find it so fascinating that Guy Ritchie, uh, not Guy Ritchie. Well, of course, he comes into play. Jason Statham's first two movies ever are Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, followed by Snatch, which are like the iconic, like fantastic roles. Like he is so lucky to be like Guy Ritchie snatched him up, which I would love for you to expand on that because I was reading some of that stuff too. The 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 you know crazy history of Jason Statham, but I mean, could you like those are two of the strongest first movies for anybody ever as an actor? I, like, like I think Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is first. Yes, Snatch is yeah. the one I saw first. Sure, Snatch is like I don't know far and above most. Most people's second movie. Absolutely. Like it's so yeah. good. Yeah, so so the history, um, so Jason Statham actually grew up working market stalls, and he was uh, not well off, mm-hmm. and he basically wanted to find a way out, and he knew that he wasn't going to stay where he was, and so he started doing like martial arts training, and uh, that opened him up to some new opportunities, and eventually he ended up doing some modeling for like Levi's or something. Yeah, I saw a few different companies, which is uh, which is pretty crazy. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, but like during that time, he studied uh, jujitsu, uh, Wing Chun, kung fu, and karate, um, and kickboxing as well. He may, I'm sure I, he may have studied some other things uh, also, but those are those are the ones that I know for certain off the mm-hmm. top of my head. And then he met Guy Ritchie through his modeling gig, and th- I guess through conversation, they discovered his market stall backstory. And that's what led him to being in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, where he plays uh, a street scam artist. Yes, yes. And he does it phenomenally. Oh, God. That's such a—I love that movie. I especially love the one of the best, like, little ending shots of a movie, that guy trying to throw the guns off of the bridge, and he's, like, pushing them with his foot. And they're all like, you know, oh, my God, we can't throw the guns away. And the movie just, like, ends, basically. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that is that is great. I, I could not. I was reading similar stuff to that because I I didn't know this about Jason Statham. You know his his market days, and I think he even got into that um, because of his father. I was reading a little bit about, um, and then the modeling. I didn't know uh, with, with Guy Ritchie finding him. Uh, I couldn't find this exactly, but I'm sure we'd have to interview either Guy Ritchie or Jason Statham. You know, Ben, you're gonna agree. With, you're gonna have to agree with me when they were talking, and you know maybe working on. Uh, Jason Statham's roles in these movies or Guy Ritchie was feeling him out to see if he wanted to do any acting. You know, Guy Ritchie was like, oh, you're modeling gigs, you're your street uh, street market dealings and stuff like that. But have you ever boxed? <laughs> Guy Ritchie was like, Jason Statham, and maybe Jason Statham was like, yeah, I boxed once or twice. And, and... No, Jason Statham was like, I kickboxed for like four years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And then Guy Ritchie was like, you're perfect. No, Guy Ritchie was like, okay, but you can't use your feet. 
<laughs> it has to be regular boxing. Oh God, yes. The uh, like, yeah. We'll, we'll have to get to uh, what I'm sure we're, we're going to do. Snatch. I'm pretty sure we, that we have to talk about Snatch eventually, whether it's in this series or, or soon. It'll be in this series, I'm sure. But just the that's the pinnacle of Guy Ritchie being like. What if everybody was a boxer? Wouldn't that be a better world, you know? <laughs> oh, then and then I don't know if we'll ever do King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, but it, like Guy Ritchie writing that, and he's like, everybody knows oh, the yeah. everybody knows the King Arthur legend, but they didn't know he was a boxer. <laughs> 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 Fucking strangest thing ever. I mean, directors always have their trademarks, but Guy Ritchie's is <laughs> everybody's a boxer. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't make Madonna box and swept away. <laughs> I uh you know as far as as far as gimmicks are concerned I'm pretty on board with that one. Mhm. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean you, you know my my prevalence in history for with martial arts sure. and, and how much I uh, Sure. enjoy it. So like to see that portrayed like I I even enjoyed it in in King Arthur although I, there was definitely a little bit of me where it was like, oh, yeah, Rob's totally right. This dude loves boxing. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the Sherlock Holmes movies. Uh, what's what's Guy Ritchie's take on Sherlock Holmes? Sherlock Holmes is so smart he can box. <laughs> <laughs> He's so smart he can box better than other yes, people. Yes, yes. <laughs> God. Um, but, no, you're absolutely right. Like, Jason Statham is so good in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, like, pulling on that personal history. Um, and I, I think that is 98 or 99 – um, maybe probably ninety eight. Um, Snatch is two thousand. Snatch is the one I also saw that first. Um, uh, Lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. I watched uh, sometime later, and because it was Guy Ritchie, I I saw Snatch. Um, when we get to that, we'll talk more about our history. But I mean, such an iconic movie. Of course, it's Guy Ritchie's like breakthrough hit. Of course. I know that was like a, a British production, so it was huge in Britain, but that's like what gets Guy Ritchie over to America because that movie had so much power to it. But Jason Statham as what his character's name is Turkish, I think, in that movie. Yeah. And, you know, he just plays that what he's like the facilitator between a whole bunch of people in that movie with the diamond because the whole movie's about like the diamond heist and stuff like that. It is such a great performance where it's just like, okay, this guy, like Jason Statham, this guy has something. You know, even though I don't think he's doing a lot of stunts or fighting, you know, it, it, to the extreme that he becomes the American action hero that we know Jason Statham today, uh, American movie action hero. Yeah, oddly enough, Brad Pitt is like the action fighting hero. Yeah, in that movie. yeah, he's he's the boxer. Yep. Um, and and so like everybody's like, wow, this dude, you know, at uh, Jason Statham, um, got so of course Guy Ritchie makes Jason Statham, pulls him out of nowhere, puts him in these two movies. Everybody's on board with him. I think in 2002, Jason Statham is in The Transporter. 2003, he's in The Italian Job, the the re- which is a remake uh, of the um, Michael Caine one from the 60s, I think. And The the Transporter's a fairly big hit. The Italian Job is a massive success. And boom, he's a movie star. Like, Jason Statham is like, he's you know... He's not even, like, a main character in Italian Job, right? He's a, he's a villain, I, I think. I think so, yeah. He's definitely... That's, like, an ensemble movie for sure, and he's, he's not too big in it, but he gets a lot of notoriety from that successful movie. And The Transporter, he's he is the transporter. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, after that, boom, everybody's like, Jason Statham, we know him, and he just... It's off to the races. I mean, he he's gets all these these action movies. I mean, most of the ones I was looking through his filmography, I've, I haven't heard of a lot of them. Like, he's in some movie called Parker, and I read the plot synopsis like Jason Statham is a hitman, and I'm like, yes, okay, I, I, I understand that movie, um, and and yeah, then he becomes the the Jean Claude Van Damme of our I, era. I really hope you were going to say like follow that up with, and then he's in a movie called Driver, like Jason Statham <laughs> is a hitman that drives. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, he's he's awesome. Jason Statham's great. And, uh, of course, you know, as he... He's in a prequel to those movies called <laughs> Parallel. <laughs> Jason Statham <laughs> does things alongside other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, it, it's and awesome. It. I'm, I'm glad that they start to tap him, you know, because Guy Ritchie doesn't do it too much until a little later on. Um, you know, especially, like, Revolver, he's not really active in there's no like fighting in that work there's some punches and stuff but that's more of like a, a psychological thriller movie um but I, I he gets tapped of course as we know him for the action stuff like you said using his skills doing doing his own stunts i want to get to that uh, the stunt thing specifically um but i, I want to ask you ben and throw it over to you um you know what do you think about knowing that you know his history now with his like martial arts and stuff like that are you a huge fan is, is that what drew you to jason statham you know whether it be when you were younger um, or you know, even more now as you've gotten older and seen more Jason Statham, is that like the is the martial arts like top tier for you? The fight choreography that he does is it somewhere middling? Like, how do you rank this, or what what are your thoughts on it in general? Because as we've talked about many times, this is something I know nothing about. I I look more at the editing of fight scenes than I do the actual choreography because I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, I guess the the thing that I would point out is the the first movie that i ever saw with jason Statham in it was transporter 2 i believe okay okay which actually gave me an idea for a series where we just do the second movie in three movie chunks uh for like four different series <laughs> that, uh, wouldn't, that wouldn't be bad <laughs> transporter 2 uh, the martial arts in it is is phenomenal uh you know and i'm, I'm watching this as somebody who doesn't know that much about martial arts but i've started watching mma and getting in into mma and like I like and and like I like the technical parts of MMA, so I'm starting to pay attention to it a little more. And then I see Jason Statham on screen doing like a dope ass choreograph uh, choreographed fight scene, whereas like up to this point, fight scene choreography is still pretty bad. Um, I don't know exactly when it became like mainstream that all fight scenes had to be choreographed well. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, I think we've discussed before it's probably post MMA becoming a huge thing. Sure, um, but they were like go you know. If you go back far enough, it's not that far. You'll see like very poorly choreographed fight scenes, and and this was Transporter Two was like one of the first non Jet Li movies I saw where there was actually good martial arts. Okay, because Jet Li has always done good martial oh, arts, yeah. except they always Jet Li, Jet Li's like Jackie Chan if Jackie Chan was ever ever used wires. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. Because <laughs> I mean that's Jet Li's shtick is that he's that good at martial arts and he uses wires, but. Uh, yeah, so you know, I, I'm I'm watching this. And I'm like, this is this is great uh, choreography in Transporter Two, and I think I, I watched Transporter Three. I wasn't as pleased with it because I think they put like a little bit of a love scene or a love uh, story, whatever, in Transporter mm -hmm. Three, and I'm just like, eh, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily care about this. So in terms of in terms of his like actual performance and stunt choreography and martial arts choreography, I'd say it's all very good. It's all things that you would actually see in real martial arts and in real fighting. Um, and I think his performance of it is fantastic. And then in terms of the choreography or in terms of the cinematography, uh, I think they do a lot of good editing that makes it look like contact is actually being made when it's not. So sure. it's all very safe. Yeah. Unlike, I think it's Bruce Lee who has actually been known to hit, um, people mm -hmm. that he really shouldn't be hitting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think with regard to that, it's like Jason Statham. I, I very much appreciate his martial arts stunt work. I will say that he's maybe not the best martial artist in the world. Uh, no, he's sure. definitely not the best martial artist in the world. But he's like, he's maybe not even somebody I would consider like an a, an expert or perfect. You know, he's definitely a professional martial artist because he's paid to do it. But he's not like an expert or the. Um, he doesn't have the best qualifications even sure, amongst sure. 
amongst actors in, in the martial arts world. But he has enough that he would definitely stand his own against most people who are not trained. And I think that's like that's what they put him up against a lot in a lot of these movies is like he gets in into sticky situations where somebody has a gun and he has to use the fact that he knows some martial arts to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And they don't they either don't know martial arts or they don't know very much. And, you know, so it's like he he gets in into these situations where he can do very harrowing things um, and it all comes across very well because there is that element of like his execution isn't perfect, but it's very good. So anyway, that's just I, I think that in terms of, of people that I like to watch doing martial arts, Jason Statham is very high in that list. Yeah, I, I think also there's since uh, something that they tapped into very early, which probably started him on this path, and now he's only gotten better with over time, is that he he not only you know understands the martial arts in reality and the the editing and the actual choreography in the movie season is is you know does uh, some work to make it look good but he knows how to make these fight scenes engaging and cinematic you know where i i think it's one of the things i've heard about like a jean-claude van damme definitely like a steven seagal who are like very much trained in uh, like a very specific type of martial arts that they're like you know near masters in or something and they do that on screen it's not that cinematic you're like yeah this is interesting but i mean it, it's not like it, it's not as engaging as like jason statham who like knows he like knows his angles but for fighting in some sense yeah well and it, you know it, it helps that he does have the experience with yeah. martial arts that if if he and i don't know to what degree this happens but i have to expect that it happens to some degree if he were working with the choreographer uh about a fight scene like they might take his input seriously and I, I can only imagine that he has had some impact on, on what the actual choreograph, choreography ends up being. Sure, yeah, yeah, I would imagine, absolutely. Especially since he's the one doing, um, in, in, in Crank, uh, Crunk, and, and I, I believe in a lot of his movies, he's the one doing the stunts. He's going to have a lot of input on that choreography and stuff like that, um, which is great, which is something I love to see the you know actor be that involved, um, especially you know that that's why it's like jason statham didn't do a like a million action movies by accident you know it's like he's good at it and he keeps making them for a reason <laughs> absolutely and i you know i wouldn't want i don't want him to disappear i love watching the movies he's in the mechanic series great you know the the plots aren't always the best sure but sure. at the end of the day you get to see jason statham fight people did you ever see The Meg? I know he's in The Meg, which I did not see. Ooh, is that like a shark movie the or something? Gi- yeah, it's like a gigantic shark. I hope, I can only hope that Jason Statham punches, punches the shark, you know? Because you got to punch a shark in the nose or whatever. <laughs> is this, is it, is, are we saying that Jason Statham is like early Adventure Time Finn? <laughs> that... <laughs> Now that that would be interesting <laughs> when they of course the age is off for like a, a live action like adventure time in the 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 usual timeline or the usual you know place it ta- time it takes place but one of like the flash forward episodes where Finn's an old man get him Jason Statham play him <laughs> and he's That'd just British fun. for some reason you know <laughs> like Finn where'd you get the accent he's like oh I, I went to somewhere yeah. for a while <laughs> um so I turns out Jake was actually the accent I had earlier and once he died. <laughs> yeah. So, so on the, on the topic of the stunts and the choreography and stuff like that, I wanted to um, bring this up to you cause I wasn't, I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but I wanted to pick your brain on it. Um, either way. Uh, one of the things that I've known about Jason Statham and he's not the only one he's um, just who we're focusing on. So he's who we're going to talk about um, for a while now. Uh, he has been a, a big advocate 
uh, for stunt performers uh, to have a category at the Oscars. He's he's yeah. he's been like you know we should we should have a category for you know like great stunt work. And um, he's talked about it before. There's a quote I want to read, but you know generally I think that Jason Statham and the other people who who feel this way um, they not only think like oh we want you know to award like. Uh, like good stunts, but you know, there, there's some notion of they want to award like the advances in safety for pulling off, you know, more elaborate stunts and stuff like that. I think this this came really big into the conversation when what 2017 when Mad Max Fury Road came out because that movie's like an insane amount of stunts and it was a big thing where it was like they they were they pulled off insane shit in that movie. If anybody's seen it, there's so many practical stunts that are just like unbelievable in that film. And you know, one of the things that was like. Like, nobody got hurt, even, like, minorly, you know, when they were doing wow. stunts in that movie. And it's like, that's a miracle, you know? And it's like, no, it's not a miracle. It's like they, they actually, like, put effort into advancing the, like, art of stunt performing. And I, I love that. I agree with that. I think that, you know, that's something that stunt performers don't usually get credit for, um, which is a bummer because they're they're most of the time. And that leads me to this quote. Uh, I'm going to do – I'm going to read my quote to the best of this ability in, in uh, the British accent. So Jason Statham said – Oi, governor! <laughs> it's six bong time for tea. <laughs> uh, that's how this quote starts, and then um, at least our schools aren't call of duty. <laughs> uh, that, so that's how it starts. But no, the actual quote, which I love, I think this is from 2013 or something. He said, uh, "Quote: All of the stuntmen; these are the unsung heroes. They really are. Nobody is giving them any credibility. They're risking their necks." And then you've got poncy actors pretending like they're doing the stunts, which I totally agree with. You know, there's so many like body doubles and stuff for stuntmen, which, of course, you know, the big actors like a Tony Stark or anybody in the Marvel Universe when they have to do stunts. Well, in the early Marvel Universe, because I would imagine that anytime someone has to do stunts in the more recent Marvel movies, it's just CGI. I, I totally think that it's like, you know, oh, man, that stunt was crazy. Like, let's give all the credit to, you know, the... Uh, insert you know name here and it's like well no we should give some credit to the stuntmen what do you what do you think about just the uh, the stuntmen in general and like the appreciation or the lack of appreciation that they they seem to get <laughs> uh i think the fact that as a kid i didn't even know stuntmen were a thing oh sure until a certain age you know it's like that in and of itself speaks volumes about the fact that stuntmen are not given the credit they deserve and stuntmen I mean, essentially, they make a movie watchable mm -hmm. in, in a lot of cases. Like, any of your action movies, like, if, if your main character's not doing their own stunts, like, why are they even in the movie? Just have the stuntman do the movie. Sure, sure. That's one of the things that's fantastic about Jason Statham doing his own stunts is that we kind of get the best of both worlds in that in that yeah. movie. But in most movies, it's like, the, the stuntman deserves way more credit than the, than the main actor in, like, a... You know, like if Clive Owen doesn't do his own stunts, which I don't know if he does or not, yeah, and I shoot don't know him either. up. Yeah, oh sure, like, sure. He doesn't deserve the credit for that movie. The stuntman does. It, you know, like I said again, if I don't know. So yeah, one hundred percent, I'm for it. Like stuntmen need to be recognized. They do the most dangerous part of of movie making, mm -hmm. and any any efforts to keep with. Uh, what would you call it? No, well, non CGI stunts. I'm sure there's a better way to phrase that. Practical stunts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in any, any effort to keep practical stunts and, uh, have them be safe, I'm definitely all for, uh, especially like practical stunts just look so much better Absolutely. than, yeah. than CGI anything. Like we've come a long way with CGI, but it still doesn't look good. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. I'm all for it. 
I'm all for it. I, I, yeah, I, I've, I've felt this way for a while, and I love watching that side. I mean, some of the, you know, I love the behind-the-scenes footage of a lot of movies, and whenever they go about, you know, talk about how they do stunts, I'm always, like, fascinated because, you know, uh, they always talk about, you know, actors have to hit their marks. And for the ones that don't do their stunts, that's like, okay, I have to, you know, by this point, be in this spot, at, then at this time, say this line. And, of course, you're hitting your marks, and that's a, that's a big part of the movie that makes the movie flow and work and stuff like that. But then you watch, like, a background feature about stunt work. Like, the one that I always think of, which is it's fantastic, there's that scene where Sherry O'Terry um, blasts the guy on rollerblades with her car in Southland Tales. And there's a whole, like, 20-minute behind-the-scenes feature on the Blu-ray where they just explain how they did that stunt of the guy getting hit by the car. And... You want to talk about hitting marks. Like, the stuntman is like, okay, at this, like, at a certain time, he has to be at this mark so, like, he can be in front of the car as it's going. And then he has marks to hit, like, two marks on the hood of the car, one at the soft spot of the windshield that they've created that'll crack, and then, like, one on, like, the roof of the car. And it's like, that is insane to me that stuntmen are doing this, and they're just like, and it's just like for a quick moment in the movie, of course it looks cool. Someone, oh, someone got blasted by a car. But it's like they're that good that they know how to hit those marks. And it's such a specific set of timing. Like that, how do you not want to recognize that or, you know, acknowledge that achievement? It's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, maybe initially it's like you want to acknowledge the faces on, on camera or whatever. You want to keep that mystery alive within the movie world, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as the stuntman comes out, or in this case, an actor who is also his own stuntman comes out and says, hey, we need recognition for the stunts we're doing. Like, I feel like it is the only appropriate response. It's like, oh, shit. Yeah, why not? Like, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of course you do. Like, that's why have we not been doing this? <laughs> yeah, it makes just perfect sense. Um, I, I think that's also the – and. I think with the John Wick movies, it's coming up more and more. Like I said, Mad Max brought that to light. John Wick movies have been bringing that to light because the director of the John Wick movies is Keanu Reeves' stuntman, like from The Matrix and from the early 2000s Keanu movies. And so it's just like, well, yeah, sure, you know, it's like stuntmen are now like... Like, no, nobody saw the first John Wick and was like, that's not good action. No, everybody was like, this whole movie is action. Some of the best action we've seen in, like, the last five years, you know? Oh, absolutely. And it's because you had a stuntman at the helm, you know? <laughs> and the stuntman was not only just, you know, having good choreography and then, you know, the editing was doing a lot of the magic. The stuntman was actively... Like, there's a reason that the first John Wick movie brought the word car-foo into the, like, lexicon of regular people, <laughs> you know? It's like they were doing something new. And it's it's fantastic. Stuntmen deserve so much credit. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, John Wick also brought gun foo into the lexicon. Sure, sure. Yeah. Which is awesome. <laughs> like it's so cool. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm all for the martial arts and the the non lethal whatever. But in situations like John Wick's dealing with, you have to kill people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> if you can do it with gun foo, that's dope as shit. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stunts are, stunts are great. Stuntmen are great. Pract- like you said, practical is the way to go. And it's so cool to see so much practical uh, in this movie, Kronk, which we should get to. A few other things I want to mention. Um, I'll probably put one of them in here because I did not know this until doing my research. Uh, in 2003, uh, Jason Statham was in three... Uh, British commercials for Kit Kat bars. <laughs> um, and I only watched one of them. I'll probably watch all three before I, I edit this. But the the one I watched, it's like Jason Statham sitting in like a little cafe or something. And someone brings him a coffee or a tea and he's talking to the camera. And he's describing like the life cycle of a salmon. Very, you know, 
you know, monotone and in the Jason Statham voice, like very seriously. And at the end of it, of course, like the salmon, you know, tries its hardest to swim upstream, blah, blah, blah. And then it dies. And it's like, so life is short. Remember to have a break. Kit Kat, that type of thing. <laughs> um, I, it, it's great. You can find them on YouTube. Like I said, I'll put one of them in. It's only like 30 seconds long. But I, I found them, find that very funny. Um, that's 2003. So that's post the first two Guy Ritchie movies, you know. The Salmon. The Salmon spends its life relentlessly striving to get upstream. With ceaseless endeavor, it fights the currents of massive rivers, drags itself over rocks and shallow water, forces its way up huge waterfalls, never stops, never rests, just battles and battles its way upstream. Finally, heroically, it reaches its goal, and it's absolutely naked. And it dies. Remember, you are not a Sabbath. Uh, and also, uh, I did not know this, uh, he has been partner to, they're not married, uh, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley since 2010. I think she's best known as the girl in Transformers 3, because Megan Fox left. And then she's also one of the wives in Mad Max Fury Road. I think those are only two movie credits. But they're, they've been together and they have two kids. Um, so good for Jason Statham. I mean, two models got together. I mean, which is probably usually how it happens. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so, I mean, Ben, anything, uh, you know, we're going to have more episodes with Jason Statham, of course. But I figured since this is our start, we'd run down his whole kind of our, our thoughts on him, which we, we did. Anything else about Jason Statham before we get to uh, get to Kronk? Any other thoughts on him? His children's names are Isabella James Statham and Jack Ooh. Oscar Statham. Okay, cool. <laughs> I like Isabella James. Yeah, that's pretty neat. <laughs> She's got a firsty, firsty, uh, girly boy. <laughs> firsty, firsty, girly boy. Yes. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Uh, yeah, right on. Good for good for Jason Statham. Uh, and he seems he's going to be around forever. It seems he better fucking be. Like you said, going to keep watching his movies. So, Kronk. Um, this is the one I figured. You know, it, it's uh, it's easy to watch. That's why we're starting with it. Um, it's a pretty short movie, a li- little less than ninety minutes. I had seen this movie before, of course. I, I think also as we talk about the legacy of this movie, this is one of those movies that everybody knows about you know like crank and this crank became a very popular movie of course and we'll get to it um but i had not seen this movie in many years when was the last time you saw it ben prior to watching it for this episode i expect that the last time i saw it uh was the year it came out on on dvd oh wow so that was like because this was 2006 in theaters so either late 2006 mid 2007 the latest or something like that I expect. That oh, that's okay, okay. I think I I remember maybe like I don't know six years ago, maybe even earlier. I watched. I did like both back to back just because I was like, oh yeah, I remember those, and I just threw them on type of thing. I uh, I don't really remember what I thought about them back then. Uh, I also I don't think I saw this any time when it came out back in two thousand six. I think I definitely. Oh man, I definitely saw it in theaters. Okay, right on, right on. Um, so I I remember being fine with it. I like I said I I kind of I don't think I disliked it when I watched him. Uh watched it for the first time or the second time I saw it twice. I know I watched it with Nick once. I definitely don't think I was like I I definitely didn't dislike it. I didn't was like wasn't super gung-ho about it. I definitely wasn't neutral. I kind of didn't remember my feelings, but just like the logline and and the premise of this movie is so just simple and clean that it's like Jason Statham has to keep his heart rate up or else he dies. And it's just like perfect. Like sign me up, you know. It's, it's, it's I almost remember like I like that that synopsis so well. I just like 
I think I like the movie. I'm assuming, Ben, that you loved this in 2006, right? <laughs> in 2006, absolutely. I okay. Loved this so then, then that that brings us to now. What did we think about it on rewatch? Did this movie? I'm I'm assuming it didn't uh, wasn't exactly like you weren't as gung ho as about it when you were you know in 2006 in you know maybe what early high school or something like that. But what you what do you think about it now for for this recording? It is not one of his most impressive performances. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But what about the movie as a whole? Uh, there are certain things that did not age well. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to kick some black ass. Uh, yep. Yep. Being one of them. Uh, I think he does say the word faggot a few times. Which oh, I, yeah. You... Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of questionable uh, language. Uh, what there's one line where he says, uh, you haven't been tight since your brother fucked you in the third grade. Uh, that, that's pretty fucking funny. It's, <laughs> yeah, it I, is. I'm sure that it is, it's definitely not politically correct and, and <laughs> whatever. But that joke, I think, actually stuck like that. I, as far as I'm concerned, that joke did fine in terms of aging. The I, I, I guess what like latent homophobia in terms sure. of like the way that faggots used, I don't care for. I mm-hmm. mean, you know how I feel about the word faggot and I don't really like it to be used in a homophobic way. And I think it is. Uh, but the fact that Kalo is like a a cross-dressing, I, I don't know, stripper something or other who uh, I think also happens to be gay maybe makes up for it to some degree. Okay. I, I, I don't know. Just, um, just the depiction of Kalo's character seems very of the time, you know? Like yeah. his little, his little, like when Jason Statham calls him and is like, where were you last night? And it does like the cut, the cut, the flashback or the cutaway to, you know, him dancing at the club or whatever. And like, you know, cross-dressing and stuff like that. Just, I feel like the way that that's portrayed is very much as a, as a gag, you know, like, like, uh, the directors were kind of like, well, like, isn't this crazy? You know, that type of thing. Yeah. You're probably right about that. It, it definitely like the way that they present it before it actually is shown um makes it makes it very much seem like it's like like oh he was doing something very strange yeah it's it's so. definitely not done compassionately <laughs> no that's a that's fair to say so so there were things like that where i was like eh not the best mm-hmm. um the constant camera movement made it a little harder to watch than a, a normal you know hour and a half long movie there were times where I had to be like, I, I have to look away from this for a minute. Sure. It's just too much. So I, I paused it and you know did something else for a second and then came back. And and overall, it's like a f- kind of a fun watch, but but I don't know. It, it, I felt like there was not enough something. And I can't okay. put my finger on that yet. Okay. And maybe I, I will as we talk it out. Sure, sure. I, I have to say um, that I agree with you. I thought this was... A, a fun watch. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this movie um, uh, more than I expected I was going to. Uh, def- I thought it was going to be like, you know, oh, like it, I was really going to like glaze over or something. Um, but I did enjoy it at that at that base level. I, I as we're going to get into, I think my m- one of my big things I want to dissect about this movie after we set up some more stuff, because the, the directors and the cinematography and just like the, the plot and how this movie goes, I think it all plays into. I don't know if this movie is incredibly stupid or incredibly smart. Like, it's, it reminds me of, there's a, there's a line in one of the Perfect Hair Forever episodes, an Adult Swim show, uh, that Zach and I talked about years ago now, where the, the, the villain is like, we are either dealing with a very, very, very smart person or a very, very, very stupid person. Mado Robot, what do you think? 
I think we're dealing with a very, very, very smart person or a very, very, very stupid person. And so we are very, very, very much in danger or very, very, very much safe. Mado robot. Prepare for Prepare. Quick. Quick. We play out. Get ready. And I want to get to the bottom of this because I don't know, Ben, if this movie is actually genius in what it's doing or if it is so dumb that I'm, like, overthinking it, if that makes sense. But we'll we'll get to that. Um, And I think the thing that plays a lot into this is what you were saying with the camera movements and stuff like that. Um, This is uh, the the directorial debut of – uh, it's two guys. They work together. Uh, Mark Neville Dean and Brian Taylor. They go by Neville Dean and Taylor. Um, they they have a handful of things they've done together. They've done some things separately as well. Um, they also did the sequel, so Crank uh, Crank Two High Voltage. They did together. Uh, they also did the Gerard Butler movie Gamer together, which I've never seen. Have you seen that one? I have. Okay, yes. um, I actually won a copy of that movie. Oh, right on. Uh, so so that's them. Uh, and then they did the Ghost Rider sequel, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. Um, those are like the everything they worked on together. Um, but this is this is where they start. Uh, this is kind of what gets them some notoriety because this movie comes out September of 2006, uh, costs $12 million, makes $43 million. So this movie made a, a healthy profit. Uh, I, I do want to mention Mark Neveldine. I, I did not know this until looking into him further. Uh, he's married to Allison Lohman, Ben, who we know is the daughter from Matchstick Men. She keeps coming up. Oh. <laughs> and, so. of course, young Sandra Templeton in Big Fish. Um, but that's that's why Allison Lohman doesn't act anymore because she had children. I remember we talked about that on Big Fish, I think, that she kind of retired from acting because she had kids and just, you know, is now living the family life and stuff. Um, it's because she married the, one of the directors of Crank. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so, so... These these guys, Neville Dean and Taylor, they shoot on digital. And, you know, in 2006, that wasn't, like, too crazy. I mean, it, they weren't, like, on the cusp of breaking into digital. But they, they were actively, like, we don't want to use film. We're going to do it all digital. Like, all that, you know, not really handheld digital, which they do some of in this movie, and a lot of, actually. But there are some, you know, uh, actual, like, Steadicam digital and stuff like that. But th- I think that's just a hallmark of them as a whole. They are so frenetic you know i've only seen this in the sequel like i've never seen gamer i've never seen ghost rider spirit of vengeance i would imagine that they keep that their their kind of gamers constant camera movement okay sure perfect this this cinematography and stuff is so so frenetic you know it's like not not even is the movie in almost constant motion you know jason statham's running from somebody or whipping around in a car or you know um, standing on a cop's motorcycle. Yeah, and like doing all this crazy shit. Even when the movie pauses, you know, I'm thinking of the scene where Jason Statham goes to the warehouse in the third act, and um, you know, to because he's cause Kalo like um, gets captured, and he like draws him there, and they're they're talking to him like some goons are talking to Jason Statham, and it's just like three people or four people standing in like a warehouse floor. So you would think that it's like, oh, you know, we're gonna just keep the camera down and just show this standoff or something. No, the camera is still moving and the camera is moving in such ways that I'm like, there's like snap zooms in, but then it'll zoom out a little bit. Like it'll be like at point a zoom into point C zoom back to point B zoom back into point C all for one person. And I'm like, Oh my God. And that's the thing I think you were saying like, this is crazy. Like I need to look away and stuff like that. 
Right, yeah, a little bit of motion sickness. Yeah, even in the editing where, you know, I'm thinking of the big shootout on the, um, on like the hotel rooftop at the end when Don Kim's gang shows up and everybody's shooting at everybody else, it'll just like cut to Don Kim's face and slowly zoom in and he like laughs or something. And it'll, right. it's only like two seconds or whatever, but it's just like, oh my God, this is so frenetic and crazy. And... And of course, I, I think that you know the movie is getting at that. Like we said, I, Crank. Everybody knows. I think Jason Statham has to keep his adrenaline up, or else he's going to die. And you know, not only is is that the plot, but it's reflected in the 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 hecticness and the freneticness of this movie, of this camera work, um, of the music, and of the of the uh, you know plot points and stuff like that. And th- this is this is the thing. I guess I'll just lay it out, you know, because I'm just so fascinated by this. As I was watching this. I was getting this this like notion of that this might be some type of commentary if not a full on satire of like the evolution of the action genre at this point in time when this comes out in 2006. So what I mean by that is, you know, the action movies of like the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s, they definitely followed, you know, as movies started to cost more and more as special effects got better, as stunt work got better, the action movies just kept ramping up. Like, everything was, like, we need more action. We need more explosions. We need more gunfights and stuff like that. Where, you know, I'm thinking, like, back to the 70s and 80s, action movies, you know, like, we, we talked about, you know, um, The Predator not too long ago. Uh, think of, like, the, the original Predator movie, which is an action movie. There's a lot of downtime in that. But when the action happens, it really hits. And yeah, it's impactful. Eventually, yeah. the Hollywood becomes like, okay, people like action. That's going to get butts into seats. That's going to get them to you know buy this on VHS, buy it on DVD. Let's just pump it full of action. You know, I think like uh, I mentioned, Collateral Damage from Arnold, which was like a two thousand two, two thousand three movie or something like that. That's like constant action, constant explosions. Like Arnold's just constantly like cutting people's throats and you know taking them out, and it just like never stops. And so as I'm watching Crank where the plot device is literally our action hero has to keep being an action hero or he will die. I'm mm-hmm. thinking to myself, is this some type of commentary on the action genre? And, and I, I see that in, in, and I start to think, well, is the freneticness of the camera work, the cinematography, is that also reflecting that fact that, you know, the editing for action, as, you know, we're going along this, this uh, evolution I've been talking about, the editing becomes more fast-paced. We, the, you know, mid-2000s, and, and of course now, the editing of action movies becomes fucking like a wood chipper did it, where there's a million cuts in, you know, in, uh, in like a minute or 30 seconds, you know? Like, I'm thinking of the Taken movies, which of course is after this, but it's like Liam Neeson has to jump over a fence, and there's like four edits, and it's like, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Like, why is this oh, okay anymore? Because Liam Neeson's so goddamn <laughs> Yeah, old. that that too. But I mean, like the Marvel movies, the uh, like all the the CGI nonsense is still like cut to shit, edited to shit. There's so many jumps and stuff like that. I mean, Michael Bay. I think Michael Bay is a, a great example. Like the Bad Boys one and two, which are both before Crank. Those movies, I've I've watched those, and there's like I'll see an action scene, and the action scene you can literally just sit there and count the edits, and you will get to like thirty in an action oh, scene, and it's insane. And Michael Bay is doing it very seriously, and those movies are incredibly successful. And that's where I'm kind of thinking, like, is this some commentary or maybe satire on? the action genre and what the action genre is becoming in Hollywood. And when you have that scene in the warehouse where the camera 
zooms in, zooms back, zooms in again. Is that mm-hmm. is that an actual like conscious choice from the filmmakers to to do something so blatantly off? You know, because because you shouldn't zoom in, zoom back out, and zoom back in because it makes it seem like oh you only did one take. And you fucked up and zoomed in too far the first time. You zoomed back out and said, "Oh no, I was right the first time." And zoomed back in. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like you're filming in your backyard and you don't know how to work the lens appropriately or the, the right. zoom button because this is digital. So I'm like, is this a calculated choice to do something so blaringly obvious that it causes like a motion sickness, causes you to notice the actual camera work that in in its hecticness to to comment on the action genre, or did they really just fuck it up and do and not know how to work the zoom button? And they just kept that in there. And that's why I was saying, I'm like, is this movie really smart or is it really stupid? <laughs> Did, does that all make sense? Did I lay it out appropriately? <laughs> I, I think so. I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I, I'm inclined to say that this movie is through and through an action movie. Yes. I, I'm inclined to say that this movie is not a critique or commentary on what action movies are. Okay. But it is an exemplar of what action movies are, if that makes sense. Sure. It is like, it is the culmination of what action movies are. Ooh, so I'm not necessarily okay. inclined to say that, that they fucked up the zooming or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm inclined to say that they expected that taking it to this level was what they should do. Oh, so you're saying something like they, they, Neville Dean and Taylor were, you know, students of the action genre as they were growing up and they were seeing the way it was going and they said, let's just take that to the maximum. Not for a, a critique or a satire, but because they were like, we can do this. We can be just as crazy as a Michael Bay and do something new. Something like that? Yes. Okay. That's, that's, what, a, that's, that's a very good possibility. Yeah. yeah. I would. I would also think that because, of course, looking into the rest of their filmography, um, like I said, I've never seen Gamer or um, uh, Spirit of Vengeance, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. I've never seen, I don't think I've seen any of their solo stuff, which I didn't write down, but I don't remember any of them off the top of my head. I don't think anything that they've ever done has ever tried to be like a smart or a, a critiqueful take on something in the industry or anything like that. So it would make me think that they, they had success with this action genre, and they just ran with it rather than them being like, you know, oh, we were trying to scathe the action genre and we were misunderstood. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's much more likely that they were genuinely trying to make a okay. gem in the action world. They were trying to do something maybe new or, like you said, take it further um, and that they they were looking for uh, being a, a an exemplar of action. See, I I totally agree with you. It just kind of like bums me out a little bit. I mean, uh, of course, I will. I I'm I'm totally a fan of if you watch a movie and you feel a certain way about it, about what it's getting at, or you know the thoughts and the themes it gives you. Feel free to believe whatever you want. You know, I'm also type of people, type of person where it's like even if the director tells me like, no, you're wrong, I will be like, well, that's cool to know, but I'm still gonna think about it that way because it's fun. You know, I I just kind of think this movie would work so well as a satire of the action genre with the plot device, with all this stuff. Hell, even what we were talking about, the problematic and, and the things that didn't age well, it would make perfect sense that in a, a satire of the action genre would throw around like racial and homophobic slurs willy-nilly to point out the absurdity and the offensiveness of them when they're done seriously, right? 
yeah, I think so. I, I don't... Uh, n- not a lot of action movies are, like, ingrained into my memory in the same way. I mean, like sure. you mentioned earlier, like, you you kind of forget about them immediately. Yeah. Like, the only yeah. thing you remember is, like, the cool stunts. So, like, I don't know if that was a, tra- a trademark of the action uh, genre, that they were homophobic and racist. Uh, although, I don't know. The the race racism maybe is a little bit far for what he says. Like, Black is a descriptor for the people he's sure, interacting with. Sure. And at the time, it was certainly not a um, a racist descriptor. Yes, um, I, so I would think say... the the strongest racial moment in this movie is when he rips a cab driver out of the car and screams Al Qaeda. Yes, yeah, and absolutely. old white people attack the cab driver. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, the that one was... where I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm like, this was 2006. Sure, the 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 Bush stuff was still like lingering in there, but I I was you know I was like that that definitely did not age well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it. I remember. I mean, when I was watching this and I saw that, I was just like, "Oh, right." I forgot that that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, the, the, my my wife was happened to be there, or no, I told her about it later, and she was just like, "Do you think that was funny then?" And Ooh, I yeah. and I had to stop, and I was like, "I don't know." That and I I think asking that same question for, for like when I was watching it for me, that's where I'm kind of like. I don't, well, I personally don't think it's funny. I don't know if I would have thought it was funny when I was, like, what, 14, if I had seen it back then. But, right. like, and in asking myself, was it even funny back then in 2006, when Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda was, of course, still on the mind of the American people, it's like, that's where I'm like, is is this a commentary? Is this satirical? Because he literally just screams, Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, and two old white people attack this cab driver. Like, th- yeah, there's, something, like there's something so, well, like, <sighs> satirical to me about that. <laughs> so, like, is it is it supposed to come be played as funny? Is it, like, maybe that in itself was a commentary on something, but, but maybe it was more of a commentary on... Because, like, I know that there was instances of... of of uh, anybody who looked a particular shade of brown, mm, mm-hmm, um, mm. especially in New York, like potentially getting fucked with because of of you know nine eleven. Sure. So was was this like a commentary on that? Was this type of joke actually acceptable at the time because of reasons that I can't think of? Yeah. yeah. Like like. Were we as Americans were we were we comfortable with what uh, blaming or asserting that that people who were not at all related to the to the terrorists were somehow involved in the terrorist plot? Like, is I I don't know I don't remember. Yeah, don't I'm, remember I'm with you there. If yeah. if it was somehow widely accepted, I mean, I think the only thing I really remember about it is that there were critiques of it eventually. Mm-hmm. Whether it was immediately or not, I that I don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah I don't know either. So it it's uh, it'd be interesting to, to see, you know, and and um, I'm with you as well. I don't really know if it was supposed to be played as funny or if it was just like a, a common common, you know, for lack of a better term, thing at that moment in time. Yeah, I, it, it, I, I guess in imagine. in this lens now, I'm seeing this stuff and I'm like, this just it just screams like this. Maybe maybe this is another like you know master of disguise thing where. It, I'm I'm with you. You actually make a really good point that this is like they genuinely like pushed the action envelope to this crazy level, and it might be one of the first to ever do it. You know, um, to to with the plot device of this, his heart's going to explode or stop or whatever, or his right. veins are going to rust or whatever the doctor like, says. Yeah, or something it, that's like, like that. the quintessential. Act. Like they were like, let's not even fuck around with trying to make a plot. 
Yeah. Like, let's just have this guy has to keep moving, and that puts him in random situations. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so I'm with you that they just wanted to push it, but I, I'm, like, with the Master Disguise thing, I'm like, this movie is maybe, like, three degrees of away from being a masterpiece. Like, if this was a true satire, and, of course, tweaks and things, um, like, if this movie got remade, you should still cast Jason Statham today. Like, don't don't change that at all. But, like, get someone in the helm who's going to, like, make it, like, you know, a, a send-up of the action genre. This could be amazing, I think. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the things that really makes me, uh, attaches me to the idea that this is supposed to be an exemplar of action movies is this is not that far removed from Shoot 'em Up as an action movie. Sure. And Shoot 'em Up literally has the name Shoot 'em Up. <laughs> like... Yes, <laughs> which is a slang term for shoot 'em up movies. You know, yeah, like it's they, yeah, like they, they were they were there was no subtlety in this genre at the time, and I th- and I think that that lends leads me to to really like firmly believe that they uh, they don't definitely didn't intend any kind of satire. Mm. And and then I guess my question for you is if if this was satire or if it, if it was good satire, is it bad that we're not sure? It's it's definitely not bad. I know we've talked about okay. it before, but like a, I think a, a a a good a sign of a good to great satire is that it is uh, some people won't realize it's, it's satire. It's believable. It's believable. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and no, that, you're, you're definitely right. And that that I think just made me you know then that that's when I'm really getting into my head where I'm like, is this a satire? Is it not? And then it's like you go down the rabbit hole of well, because I'm asking myself, it might be the best satire. You know. <laughs> well, and, and I, I guess that raises the question of like. Can a genre or something get so extreme that it's impossible to tell if if ah. what you're seeing is satire? Like the with black exploitation movies and like uh, Black Dynamite. Sure. Like sure. is Black Dynamite a satire or is it a black exploitation movie? Yeah, that's uh, a. <laughs> I asked that question before. I asked that question before I came in the room. <laughs> that's right. And is it is it possible to tell? Yeah, that's 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 a good question. Um, uh, you know, know, with obviously without input from the creator, because the creator mm-hmm, can tell mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. whether they intended it to be that or or whatever. But I don't know. Can can things get so outlandish that you wouldn't be able to tell? And I and I think like I'm even reminded, and and I I don't want to linger on this too long because it is uh, politics, and I and I I kind of agree with you that leaning on politics for for content is lazy, but. The, with the news and the things that they said uh, about our former president, um, there was a moment where it was like, this is so ridiculous that Babylon B is having a hard time coming oh, up with things that you believe. That's a, that's a or, good, or, yeah. or that, you, that, that are actually, you know, not things that are in the news. Yeah, there, there's a reason that what, isn't that a subreddit called Not the Onion now? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah exactly. I know what you mean. Yeah, 100%. Yep. So, so it's like they... Uh, I guess maybe that's the the uh, equivalent of like jumping the shark to some degree. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And um, you know, you're you're probably onto something there. I've never really thought about it that way, but that is definitely the case where it's like uh, have have things can things go so far that you know the that making fun of them looks no different than doing them. That, yeah, that you know, and and maybe maybe that is you know you bring up a good point. Um, I know I've mentioned this to Ben. I I don't know if I mentioned it on something we've recorded, but I've been slowly working through the um, uh, Friedberg and Seltzer movies, which are like the epic movie, date movie, disaster movie, and stuff like that, um, mm-hmm. where maybe, like, those aren't satires. Those are straight, you know, lowest hanging fruit parodies. I don't even know call them parodies type of thing. Um, but it's like, maybe we can't 
satirize things anymore because they're so outlandish that the way to make fun of them is just to is parody parody in in the most basic sense you know sure there's still clever parodies and, and clever comedies out there um but it's like you know once again it's not by accident that friedberg and seltzer made like eight of those movies you know that yeah. they they just kept pumping them out when something because there's a there's a 300 one, Meet the Spartans. There's the disaster movie, an epic movie, which do a whole bunch of shit. There's the Twilight one. There's the Fast and Furious one. You know, and so it's like they it's like it loops around. The actual genre has gone so crazy. The only way to make fun of it is to make it, you know, bare bones minimum where it's just referential time capsule humor and stuff like that. Like I watched Meet the Spartans. Like that's the last one I watched. And there's like American Idol Sanjay jokes. And I was like, oh, my God, I haven't thought about Sanjay in like. 20 years you know <laughs> uh, and i mean th- that actually kind of raises the question of so you know when you start saying something ironically then eventually you just say it yeah. and now you're one of the people that you're making fun of it's like is is that bound to happen like are we in are we in a time that's so crazy that even if you try to make fun of something and you end up parroting it that eventually you're not doing it ironically anymore maybe maybe um that's, that's wild <laughs> uh and it's just I don't know, like, and and is it possible for something to even get there? Mm-hmm. And and I think action movies have changed some in, in terms of what they are and what they bring. Like everything, everywhere, all at once is to some degree an action movie. Oh yeah, and and I think that it it definitely offers a new look at it, at the action movie. They, they weren't just going bigger and explodier and you know musclier. They were they were doing something genuinely new and different. Yeah. So it is. I think it's possible to break out of that cycle once you're in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'm, but I'm curious. Like, if we were to stay faithful to the things like Crank, would we be able to tell if they were making fun of it or not? Would anybody? Yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And and even like you know, uh, I think uh, to to add on to that, or you know, part of that is the if you go so far, and then you know, some type of satire or commentary is created. If, you know, you try to bring that up, people would be like, no, it's just an action movie. Like, why, like what is, like, it, it, it might almost become a foreign concept to people, you know? Right. That they'd just be like, no, this is just what action movies are now. Like, what do you mean it's making fun of it? It's just like, this is it. This is just a great action movie, you know? Right. Well, I, mean, I, mean, I think of, like, Moonfall, which was, what, last year or something like that? The, uh, the, the m- movie that's literally, like, the moon has a fucking, like, alien in it or something, and it's getting su- super close to the Earth, and it's fucking shit up. Like, I remember ever being everybody being like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen, and it's great because it's so stupid, you know? And it's just a disaster porn movie. And maybe if, uh, of course, that movie is nowhere near satire, you know, um, what's his name? Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on it. Not Ridley Scott. The uh, guy who did, like, Independence Day and stuff like that. Um he does disaster porn movies. It's no way a satire. But if a movie like that did come out where it's satirizing the action sci-fi genre and be like, the moon is attacking the earth and we're going to make it as crazy as possible. And it's you know, like, it's a commentary on the uh, on the state of the action genre and how audience want bigger and bigger things because that's just going to, you know, they're tired of people talking in rooms. We need planets to collide. And then, you know, the the, the studio executives would be like, you had me at Moon Attacks Earth. Everything after that, cut that out. We'll give you $300 million. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it seems like that is kind of the natural progression of this type of genre. Yeah. Where as you move maybe to a more distilled version of what it is you're trying to do, you're actually just getting bigger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
where, you know, like I said, everything everywhere all at once takes it in a different direction. Um, like even, you know, the slasher genre has got to even be prone to this, right? Definitely. Like, like yeah. you could have a movie where it's like, we're just going to do an hour and a half of straight fucking killing. <laughs> yep, and people will yep. be like, this is fantastic. It's so intense and scary. It's like, okay, fucking all right, I guess, you know, like I was, yeah. I was trying to make fun of you, but. Um, that's a, that that's a, that's a great example that I didn't think of, but you're absolutely right. I mean, even I think that was happening around the same time. You know, Crank maybe a few years after, whenever like Hostel came out, like Eli Ross Hostel is like the first half is basically like meat soft to medium core porn, and then the second half is gore, constant constant gore, and pe- yeah. that that movie got attention, and it wasn't a satire. I don't think Eli Roth knows what satire is, um, but it, it's like then you know with the slasher genre, it's just like constant killing i we, i think of you know um halloween kills the middle one where it's just you know michael myers just fucking everybody up for you know however long that damn movie is um and i'm sure that's going to keep happening with the slasher genre where i'm sure they're oh what is it? it came out recently terrifier 2 which i've only heard about i've never seen the terrifier movies but... I, I watched terrifier it's uh because I heard about Terrifier 2 and it making people vomit or something. Yeah, yeah. But th- that's exactly the point where people are like, look at this, this new slasher movie. You're gonna be, you're just gonna puke your brains out. It's so gross. It's so gory. And it's like, oh, that's, you're right. It's like, that's not satire. That's just like, well, what else can we do? Like, what what's the right. next step? Well, it's, I mean, it's to some degree, it's, it's like the uh, LOL so random of the slasher. Sure. Genre. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, oh my God, so random blood. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> um and I, like in terrifier there's a scene where he like hangs someone upside down and cuts him in half mm. uh through their crotch and it's like oh boy you know cool torture like <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i think that go the, the slasher genre, actually no maybe maybe for action as well that the, the the movie makers the studios the people producing these movies they have to keep going bigger naturally because the the evolution of these genres has just desensitized people to these things, you know? Well, like, you know, now that you mentioned it, I'm even thinking, like, this probably applies to rom-coms too, right? Sure, like, absolutely, yeah, like, yeah. Is, is, is that, like, a, a cycle we're destined to, to go through of, like, just make it bigger and bigger and bigger until somebody's like, this is fucking boring now, we have to do something different? Yeah, it'll reach that, it'll reach that, like, you know, the bubble will burst to, to some right. extent. Um but yeah, I'm thinking with slasher and action where it's just like, you know, if you do something, if you don't go bigger, people are just going to be like, yeah, I've seen this before. You know, it's right. like it's like the um, even sci fi. Like I'm thinking about the um, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek isn't like in the first or second of that. The, the reboot Star Trek, it's like they blow up a planet or something like that. Yeah, and, then, and then it's like in the next movie or like the next maybe not the next Star Trek, but like the next sci fi movie they see they'd be like the audiences are yawning and be like, what is this? Like they blew up a planet in that movie. And you, you're telling me, you know, you just you're gonna, You got a satellite crashing. Psh, seen that, you know. <laughs> right. Well, and then how can you make any one character matter in, in yeah. that kind of world? And then you're forced to move further away from character oriented stories. Or character-driven stories yeah, to, yeah. to plot-driven stories, which gives you outlandish shit happening. It's like, is I mean, I don't know. Is that is that a natural like progression? Something that we should expect from nature at all times, or or from human nature? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I don't know. I I hope not. I but I mean, even in even like with the biggest thing in the world right now, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's like. 
they're finally coming around to the point and and part of it, it taking so long is that they had so many of these planned and and they had so much in the works uh, at all times because of how big and you know in scale they were but now it's getting to the point it's like oh man they've uh, they've really gone either too far in like this particular direction or like they've reached their logical conclusion mm-hmm. and the only thing to really do is either start over which is what the comics have have always done yep or really really change your approach and i don't think the comics have ever done that no so (laughs) i'm not sure uh what they can do to 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 save if you will that that franchise i guess Mm -hmm. the that universe but i don't know that that's just like that that might just be what we are as as a species in yeah. terms of consuming art. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. Uh, you, the Marvel example is a great. Uh, the Marvel case is a great example. You know, especially because you know we have the whole thing, the the Thanos arc, and now they're starting up the Kang the Conqueror arc. There's going to be a new. There's got a new villain. There's going to be a new. You know, artifact like the existential gauntlet. Threat. Yeah, yeah, new existential threat. It's it's going to follow. You know, the going to hit all the same buttons. I mean, it has to. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> otherwise, it's not as compelling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and, and I don't know. Like, could they survive if they put some very character centric story arcs? Like, obviously, we we get like the Doctor Strange two, mm-hmm. um, and and we see some some like Doctor Strange focused story where it's like, oh, he's actually an element of chaos in the universe is that, that is always uh, a problem yeah. essentially, yeah. you know, and it's like, that's kind of interesting. Like they could definitely go somewhere with that, but the general reception of that movie wasn't fantastic. Mm-hmm. And is, is that their destiny that they, that they, if they try anything new, like, Oh, this isn't the same thing we saw last time. And then whenever they do the same thing they saw last time, I'm like, well, this isn't as big as it was last time. Like, is that, yeah, where we're at i think so unfortunately and that that's why it is it's uh it's both you know uh heartening and disheartening that when you know movies that are different come out they do get atten- like everything everywhere all at once for example great critical reception great fan reception made nowhere near the money that these cookie cutter Marvel or Star Wars or the big franchises are going to make, of course. But it was well received because it was really different. So it's heartening that people are still making movies that are different. Right. But it's also disheartening by the fact that it's like, oh, wow, like this movie was a success. And it's like, well, what, what a success to A24 is, you know, uh, it made like, I don't, I actually don't know how much um, everything everywhere all at once made in its total run, but it's, it's definitely not as a, a success to Disney where Disney's like, if you don't make a billion dollars, you are dead to us, you know? <laughs> well, and I, the fact that Marvel movies are still getting anywhere near the kind of attention that they, that makes them continue to keep making them, uh, is at this point, it's fairly surprising since yeah. they've done such a piss poor job with the, this phase five or whatever the fuck phase one oh, now. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> now, now I'm thinking of like you know they released some they have some new dis like what's there's new um, it's called like Strange World or something. I know there's a new Disney movie out in theaters. I think it's called it's called something World maybe odd not odd world strange world whatever but i'm imagining mm-hmm. like they released that and like the people who worked on that movie like go to the corporate executives and they're like and they're like Disney daddy daddy. I made $200 million. Aren't you proud of me, Daddy? And Disney's like, you know, back to the coal mine. Disney Plus for you, you know? <laughs> We're canceling <Sure>. your merch run. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, no! You know? Don't touch me like that, man. <laughs> uh, that's, I don't know. 
So I don't know that that's that's kind of the world we live in at yes, the moment. Yeah, and yeah, it, and it's unfortunate. And this is this is a running thing on Cinematics, I think that we're bummed out about about all these things, um, which is why I have this glimmer of hope that this very financially successful movie, Crank, you know, very this this very well remember. I think this movie does have a lasting legacy. Everybody knows like Jason Statham's heart's gonna stop if he doesn't keep going. Um, I think it, it's just so simple that it's gonna last forever. Um, I would have I would have yeah. liked it to be smarter. Like I said. I was torn, and either we're dealing with a very, very, very smart person or a very, very, very stupid person. <laughs> you know, honestly, I think that they should have made Crank 3 a higher Volter. <laughs> um, crank Boogaloo. <laughs> crank 3, Sex in Chinatown, again. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, so that, I, I want to get to some other moments that were making me think this was satirical, and, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. sex scene is one of them, and I, regardless of what we land on with if they were smart or stupid, or they were smart in making a stupid action movie, there, there's a lot of, you know, permutations. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly love the sex scene in this movie. I was thinking it was satirical because, you know, in these action movies, also I'm thinking, like, you know, the James Bond movies, uh, the... Um, the you know any any like you know we have a hero like we have like a sex scene type of thing and usually it's the oh you know they're they're at a lull or something like there's there's the hero and there's like the the female lead which his his you know companion they're working together he's like saving her or something and maybe there's a lull and they like find a place to hide out from the bad guys and they spend a night together and you know they end up like having sex and yeah Yeah. and and it's like it's very it's very like you know sensuous and slow and and you know probably in this day and age i haven't seen a movie with this in a while but i mean they're they're probably like 15 uh, edits per thrust or something like that. Um, and- so I, I mentioned uh, shoot 'em up earlier. I, I believe the sex scene in shoot 'em up gets interrupted by people oh, that are coming to kill them. I think that's, and, yeah, I haven't seen that in so long, but yeah. <laughs> Clive Owen, I believe shoots some people while he's supposedly yes, still penetrating a woman. That's right. I, this, uh, it's coming back to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I that's the way it goes. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a great example. Um, and and so I'm thinking of like the action genre. Oh, there's a slow point. Oh, you got it. Got to have the sex scene, you know, because well, if an action movie is going to slow down and keep the audience engaged, we don't want stupid people talking. You know, we don't want anything boring in our movies. So when it's mm-hmm. not nonstop action, it's got to be the sex appeal. And right. that's why I'm thinking in this movie, like it's Jason Statham because of the plot device of having to keep his adrenaline up. Adrenaline up. He's like, Amy Smart, fuck me right here. Like, come on, let's have sex. And then, right. of course, there's the whole back and forth. T- talk about, you know, something that didn't age well and is problematic, which I also thought could have been satirical. Her being like, no, no, no. And he's like, come on, oh, we're going to fuck, the, you know? that clear rape that was happening in front of a lot of people and no one did anything? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I, you know, that that one scene didn't cross my mind when you mentioned the satire. And that one scene, man, that one scene by itself is a compelling argument for this being satire. And even then, when they do, when she, you know what, she, like, actually hits him, or, or not accidentally, but hits him, and then she feels bad, and then, then she's like, oh, take me right here. You, you're an animal and stuff. And then and when then he... she's like, you can't get it up. And then, and then he, cause, and then he finally does get it up because he sees a bus full of Asian schoolgirls. I don't, is that, I, I didn't know, I didn't put it, I didn't take it as that's why he got it up. I take it as he, like, just eventually got it up oh i with the editing i took it as like she's berating him like come on like fuck me like be a man like you know get a boner and like it when the way it's edited to show this the the asian tourists or schoolgirls, you know i took it as like oh he's gonna think about them type of thing oh i i could see that i i don't know Uh, i i would have to watch it more closely i guess but that's not how i took it the first time or, or well 
you know, this time. But still that whole thing. And then even the way that ends is that he gets the call from Kalo and he's like, this is, this is the address to find Ricky Verona. And he's like, I got to go. Amy smart. See ya. You know, I, I'm like, I'm like, this is, this is it. This is, I'm like, this is the subversion of the sex scene in every way, shape and form. I, I, like I said, regardless of where we land on, on the actual thoughts of the filmmakers or how we believe in this movie, I I think it's a wholly hilarious scene in just in general, you know, uh, aside from the, aside from the fact that it is straight up a rape scene. Yes. That yes. uh, (laughs) So it's, it's, uh, it reminded me of barbarian where Justin's long is like, well, I was persistent. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Except in this version, uh, she actually eventually wanted to have sex, whereas in that version, she didn't eventually yes. want to have sex. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. That was so strange. Um, speaking of, uh, while we're on the topic of Amy Smart, um, you know, being the um, the love interest in this in this movie, the whole scene, it's not a whole scene, it's a pretty quick scene, but when he is trying to get her to leave the apartment and, you know, before they go to, like, the China, before they go to Chinatown... Him very blatantly killing the goons while she's distracted. Yeah. That is so fucking goofy. I'm like, this has to be like a a, a satire, you know? I'm sure that's straight out of another movie. Right? It it seems like they're... And with how goofy it is, where he literally rips her purse out of her hand and goes, oh, sorry. And she's like, oh, oh, that's where my hand lotion went and starts putting it on while he's beating the shit out of a guy like 10 feet behind her and she doesn't notice. I'm like, this has to be a, like a comedy bit, you know? <laughs> I definitely see where you're coming from. And you are, you are kind of pushing me in that direction. But I mean, I, I, stand for, I think I stand firm on my opinion, but sure, I definitely sure. see why, why that is a scene that you think exemplifies this or, or, or kind of makes the that argument more enticing yes yes because it's just so but, goofy <laughs> i but i i swear that there are other movies that have done almost exactly that thing. I, yeah i'm and totally with you and that's why i think this is this is commenting commenting on them to some extent <laughs> I, I mean is it commenting or is it just using their I, example to to create the next ex- thing you're exactly right that's that's the question <laughs> um and then speaking of amy smart in the scene where he tells her um, you know, his plan to leave the business uh, and run away with her and how he let Don Kim live and that type of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. While I was watching that scene, of course, it is it is very noticeable that uh, when it cuts to Amy Smart in the shot reverse shot, a shot that she has the hiccups, <laughs> I was like, man, this is a choice. Uh, apparently they were genuine. Apparently she actually had the hiccups during a take and Neville Dean and Taylor were like, we're going to use that take. Um very strange to me. I don't think that has anything to do with the satire. I was just like very pointedly like, why? Why would they leave this in the movie? I mean, like hiccups are annoying if you have them in real life. If you're dealing with somebody who has hiccups, like why put yeah. that in the movie? <laughs> uh, that's probably the the like few moments in my life where I'm just like, you know, you don't have to live here to my <laughs> wife. It's like you you can go live somewhere else with those fucking hiccups. Right. <laughs> that's good. Uh, and. You know, and she'll be like, "Why did you come back to bed? Like you still had hiccups. You fell asleep with the hiccups." Yeah, yeah. And, and she's just like, "You fucking! I couldn't get any sleep because of it." And I'm just like, "Well, I didn't notice because I was asleep." So, <laughs> right on. Um, 
I think other than that, I mean, I, I do find it funny, and I think this is like a not. I don't think it's supposed to be satire, or it doesn't fit into my theory of uh, this being a satire. I do really like the Jason Statham calls Amy Smart twice, gets the answering machine, and then eventually he calls. Uh, she calls him back, and she was like, "Yeah, I slept in," and he was like. You've been home the whole time. And the way he says that line where he's being very nice to her, but he's just clearly just infuriated with the situation. Yeah. Uh, great, great little moment from Jason Statham. <laughs> right. Well, and, and like the message he leaves, uh, like, please get a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely uh, some biting of his tongue, I guess, in those scenes. Yep. Uh, which came across really like he acted it very well or he portrayed it very well which i don't know you know more credit to jason Statham. he's not just an action fan as much as much as you know we uh we we might not love this performance of his and as as much as he gets criticized in a lot of his action movies for being shallow and stuff like that um he he's in this movie he's able to play the switch between you know like contract killer, which is his real job, and you know, placating his girlfriend type of thing. Like I'm thinking of the thing where he's like, "Okay, I want you to put clothes on, and we have to get out of here." That type of thing. And she's like, "Can you fix the microwave clock for me?" And you know, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't make your waffle yet." And he's like, "Please put some clothes on. <laughs> I will fix the <laughs> clock." You know, like right. his switch to that is. I love that he never like blows up like crazy, like you might expect from like a, a different action movie type sure, of thing like right, i think it gets yeah. mad at a certain okay. point and she was like that was uncalled for and immediately he knows how to like quell that situation yeah i mean he he actually is kind of an exemplar of maybe not like good communication in a relationship because he's like lying to her about sure. what he does yeah. forever but i mean he's definitely an exemplar of like patience yes yes absolutely uh, in, in, a, in a relationship and and in this particular situation like he is in maybe the most urgent circumstance one can find themselves in. And he's still like, <sighs> you know, like he's, he's not, he's not hitting her. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, you know, he's not doing the whole, uh, this ass kicking didn't just fall out of the sky thing. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, it, it's great. I mean, it, it's, it's fun. Uh, and Amy, Amy smart's not one of my favorite, you know, actors. Um, I, God, I mean, I, she's been in a bunch of stuff, but of course, she's um, the one of the female leads in Rat Race, which I think she's really good in. Oh. Um, she's the helicopter pilot that uh, okay. sees that sees that her boyfriend's cheating on her as she's uh, flying um, uh, Breckenmeyer, uh, Breckenmeyer to the uh, to wherever they're going, that type of thing. Um, but she's she's good in this movie. She plays like the ditzy girlfriend very well, you know. Um, I, and that brings you. I want to talk about. One thing, I mean, I remembered some of the cameos in this movie, but upon rewatching it, I was fucking shocked how, like, so many people that have gone on to do other things or, like, notable faces are in this movie. Um, Just, like, some tiny ones. Of course, the one that I absolutely remembered... Glenn Howerton as the nurse, Dennis himself. Oh yeah, it's always sunny and Phil. I yeah. I remember that from what because he's in the sequel too. Um, yes, he is. And yeah. I think in the sequel, it's a really great moment where he's like in a therapist's office dealing with the dealing trauma with the from PTSD. the first. Yeah. Yes, and then I think the therapist gets shot or something in the session. Yep. Um, yep. So of course, Glenn Howerton. Which was this was a year after it's always sunny in Philadelphia started. So okay, uh, yeah. so he's. It started in 2005. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think you know the first season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. While it was well received, that show didn't get traction until season two when Danny DeVito came on. So, I'm I would guess with the timeline, he had probably finished season one and was making season two when he was filming this. 
Um, so it's like he hadn't really hit yet, but now seeing him, it's great. And he's awesome in this movie where Jason Statham keeps just fucking screaming at him for, um, an EpiPen basically. And he's, he's just spouting off random like medicines he's finding in the crash cart or whatever. Right. (laughs) And then, uh, what is it that he does at the end? He's like, juice me up or whatever. And he, yes, yes. With the defibrillator. And and he goes, juice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Juice me. Juice. Do it. Um, but that's the one I remembered. That was great. The the ones I did not remember, uh, Kalo is played by Efren Ramirez, who is Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when he popped up, I was like, is that Pedro? And it is, which is which is fascinating. Um, uh, of course, one of the big ones in this movie, Dwight Yoakam plays Dr. Miles. He's like a, a big character. Um, Dwight Yoakam's been in a bunch of stuff. He's the best part about uh, Fincher's Panic Room. He's the only good part about Panic Room because that's like I've said on this podcast before. That's Fincher's worst movie. But I, I like him. You know, I, his little like comedic moments. I, I especially when he's telling talking to Jason Statham on the plane phone, and he's like, "You took the whole shot of adrenaline, didn't you?" And he's like, "Yep." And it, like he keeps telling Jason Statham, he's like, oh, "You'll run out of your system if you don't die first. And he's like, "Copy," you know, and stuff like that. Right. And I think he hangs up the plane phone. Or he says something to, like, uh, Jason Statham. He's like, it's costing me, like, 20 bucks a minute for this shit or something like that, you know? There's some line he has which is hilarious about that. <laughs> but Dwight Yoakam's great. Uh, I totally – I don't even know if I realized this the first time or second time I watched this. The guy, when Jason Statham goes to the hospital and he goes to, like, the, um, the, the pharmacy at the ground floor of the hospital and he's asking for the uh, synthetic adrenaline – the guy who tells Jason Statham that it's in nasal spray is Chester Bennington. Of course, the founder and lead singer of Linkin Park. Rest in peace, of course. I'm like, holy shit, they got Chester Bennington for this movie? <laughs> How crazy. Yeah. Um, then, then there was like a bunch of uh, smaller ones. Um, Eddie Gathigi shows up as the cab driver who gives Statham the hardcore shit made from plant shit. Uh, Eddie Gathigi will show up later on as one of the doctors in the fourth season of House, uh, the one that House calls Big Love because oh, he's a Mormon. Yeah, like I was watching. I'm like, I know this person. Like I have seen him before. Who is he? And I look at it. I'm like, OK, yeah, because I've seen him in 10 episodes of House a million times, you know. Right. Um, the, and then, you know, one of the one of the uh, actual cameos I want to mention that blew me away uh, Google Maps has a few cameos in this movie. <laughs> um, I was actually shocked that, you know, Google Maps, that they had the Google logo and not actually just the Google logo, but the actual overhead view with the elevation and the um, coordinates and stuff. Like, it looked like Google Maps did when I was a kid, basically. Right. So I looked, I was looking into this. I was like, is this like product placement? Like, was this like when Google Maps was just becoming a thing? Google Maps launched a year and a half before this movie came out, so it was probably only a year old when this movie was being filmed and produced. Wow. I have to imagine that to some extent Google, you know, Google, of course, being a fairly big search engine at that point, of course, not what it became very quickly in the years after, I, I would imagine that Google was just like, you know, yeah, you know, throw like if you pay us a little bit of money, we'll get it in the movie. Compared to now, when the Basilev's company with the Screen Life movies are like, okay, Google, we have to acquiesce to your ten, fifteen, twenty million dollar licensing fee, you know? Right. Um, but I, I thought I was crazy that they didn't just do like the little old, oh, here's an overhead view type of thing. They actually had Google Maps on the screen. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's interesting that that they would go that route. But I mean, they that may have paid for some of their their budget. Exactly. I, I can only imagine yeah, that Google yeah. Maps definitely was going to dole out some cash for that. Yeah, yeah. And with how successful this movie was, I mean, of course, people were probably like, "What is that?" You know, like that's an interesting like technical overhead view. Uh, and it also sure. keeps the freneticness because it shows like the map like moving over and, and like the little waypoint, you know, being placed down. And then of course, when they get to some place, it has big flashing red text to show us where they went. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was just shocked by how many people were in this movie. Um, it was just, it was just uh, crazy to me. Uh, the Chester Bennington one, I was like, Oh my God, you know, I can't believe they got him for this, but he must've, I don't know if he knew Neville Dean and Taylor or something like that. Um, so I'm sure there's some more moments to to talk about because we've we've talked more philosophically about this movie and Jason Statham than anything else. Um, I did want to mention to you, Ben, I, I, a little thought experiment, if you will. Um, did you see at all in any reading about this that when they wrote this script, Neville Dean Taylor wrote this script probably in like 2003, I think was when they were working on it, uh, probably shopping it around. They wrote it for a specific person in mind. Did you see who that person was? No, I didn't. Johnny Knoxville. What? They were okay. like they they were like this this could be like a role for Johnny Knoxville. Now, one, we should talk about what the hell this movie would have been if it was Johnny Knoxville. Two, them thinking about this script with Johnny Knoxville in mind, do you think that leans leans it more towards satire or more away from satire? <laughs> At this point had Johnny Knoxville been in uh what was it? Walking Tall yet? Was is Walking Tall before this? I think Walking Tall is either. I think Walking Tall is before this because I, I think Walking Tall was two thousand three, two thousand four. He, he Johnny Knoxville, of course, had definitely been in Jackass, which is the feeling I was getting with this movie. It was like the Jackass okay. nature of he has to keep doing crazy shit to stay alive, you know? Right. I mean, that makes sense why they would pick Johnny Knoxville, just from from that perspective of of. You know, keep doing crazy shit or you die. Yeah. And that and that makes me think it leans a little away from satire. But the idea right. of it being such a serious action movie where Johnny Knoxville is usually the goofball in those movies, like a walking tall. You know, he's the goofy sidekick, basically. Maybe that makes me think it leans a little more towards satire. But if Johnny Knoxville was in this, do you think maybe the original thought was that it would be more comedic? More comedic? Maybe. I don't know if that like leans me straight to satire or mm-hmm. not. Like, I don't know if that, you know, dictates that, it, that it was or should have been satire, but I don't know. That's very interesting. Yeah, it is. Diane Knoxville is the, <laughs> the person they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know why he didn't do it. Maybe it was because things changed as the production status went on. Of course, that's 2003 when they were writing it. Um, I, I did read also that there's some reports that they uh, offered the role to Nicolas Cage, who had to uh, who turned it down for whatever reason, whatever he was doing. Um, that's just a Johnny Knoxville. I can see how like the bones of this movie stay the same, and this is kind of like the same movie. Maybe like I said, a little more comedic, a little goofier inherently because it's Johnny Knoxville. You have that jackass baggage, you know, compared to Jason Statham with his baggage, like we talked about. If this is Nicolas Cage, this is just a complete different movie. Like, this becomes a Nicolas Cage movie, you know? Yeah, this becomes a, uh, I, like, almost like a Matchstick Men. Yeah, I'm thinking, of, you know, him him and Matchstick Men screaming at the pharmacy line. Have you ever pissed blood? You know? Yeah, well, that, I was thinking of the 
bullshit, man. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage, like, screaming uh, Al-Qaeda at the taxi cab driver. Totally different feel from Jason Statham doing it, you know? Sure, yeah. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Oh, sure. I mean, <laughs> I, God, uh, this, this offering this to Nicolas Cage is, is crazy. That's oh, a, yeah. That's a, yeah, um, but so Jason Statham got it, and I think Jason Statham, of course, was the right choice, and uh, this is part of the thing that, you know, keeps him and launches him more into the action stuff. Well, what other moments you got? What did you want to mention? Or any general things about the movie? Because, I mean, there's no uh, it, it, there's no good answer to the satire thing. I think you came up with the best one, that they are they they, they made a stupid thing in a smart way. <laughs> when I want them right. to make a smart thing in a smart way. Um, but, yeah, any other moments or other things you wanted to mention as I uh, look through my notes? <laughs> nothing in particular other than you know like i mentioned that it there were some things that definitely didn't age well oh yeah yeah and i think this is not i i, I want to point out you know or, or say again this is not my favorite action movie of jason statham's but it is kind of iconic for for yeah, him yeah yeah um and and there were definitely some things like with the cgi or, or the the green screen mm. uh, like of the of the car in the uh in the mall it's like yep. <laughs> oh that's pretty rough i had that, i had that one written down where i was like this looks janky as hell you know yeah it looks it looks real bad and then like the end where they're falling out of the helicopter and he's like punt fighting chip or um yep. verona yep in the air it's like that looks real bad so they they were you know kind of hurt in those areas but it's 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 still the movie that it was trying to be yeah like that in no way diminishes uh what this movie is um but i there was just something missing from it and i and i i still don't know what it is other than like i don't know maybe maybe it was the lack of of a reasonable plot sure. or something. Yeah, you said I, it I best earlier don't. where the, the, the literal, they have, it's, it's a plot device. This movie doesn't have a plot as a plot device to get right. into different situations. Yeah. Right. Which, and, is, which maybe, is once again why I was like, I want this to be a satire because that would sure. be a great commentary in the action genre. It's like, you know, it's pointing at the audience going, oh, no, you don't give a shit about the plot. You just want to get them to the next action scene. Right, you've you've never cared about them. Yeah, <laughs> don't don't pretend. You know we can see through that. Shit. Roland Emmerich, that's the guy who did Moonfall. That's the disaster porn guy. Oh, I was I just remembered okay. it. Yeah, that's I don't know why that came back to me now, but that's the guy I was thinking of. Okay. he's not doing anything satirical. He's doing he's doing action to the maximum for action to the maximum's sake. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> um, I do. You mentioned it. I as as bad as it looks, I have to say, you know, satire or not. I really do like the ending to this movie. I like that the final battle takes place as they're falling from the sky with no parachutes. Um, there's something very interesting to me about that, especially because if if you do take this, you know, on the the, uh, the screenwriting level, earlier in the movie, Jason Statham says, I'm going to kill Ricky Verona if it's the last thing I do before I die. And he kills him as he's falling to his death, which is a a wonderful right. little arc, you know. Turns out to not actually be his death. Which I also really like, which made me think this was some crazy satire that he bounces off of a car and then blinks and, and you hear the heartbeat at the end where it's just like, you know, our action hero can't die, you know. Our action hero will live forever. It's um, 
It's the right. it's the action satire version of the end of It's Such a Beautiful Day, where Bill lives forever until the, the whole universe and all the stars go out, where it's like, you know, <laughs> we're there, it's very purposeful in that telling you what the movie's about thematically and, you know, the the persistence of, of uh, the human brain under any circumstance. But this, it's like, no, our action hero's not going to die because it's literally sequel bait, right? It's literally going, okay, there's going to be more. And that's what the fucking action movies do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm definitely, I, I definitely don't think, you know, whenever they see how successful this movie is that they can like in any way justify not making a sequel. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like absolutely. it's just yep. damn near a free $30 million. So the fact that they left it open for a sequel, I guess is not, is maybe the more surprising part where they do have him open his eyes and it's like, well, Maybe he's not dead. You know, that, like, that's where I think it would it would work as like a commentary or the the satire, more of a, a like a poking fun at because I think once again talking about that evolution of not even just the action genre but movies as a whole, you know, I would say in like the '90s became so sequelized. Like the example I think of is um you know the original Back to the Future. It ends where you know oh Marty's back and. And Crispin Glover's a posh, you know, yuppie now, and everything's good because Marty got his truck. And as we talked about in some episodes where it's like, that's the problem with that movie where it's like, oh, he fixed the timeline. What's the happy ending? They're materialistic now, you know? <laughs> um, right. But like, but the actual end of the movie is like, everything's good. He's with his girlfriend. They're going to go take the truck to drive to the lake or whatever because that's all Marty wanted to do. But then Doc Brown shows up in the DeLorean and they fly off and he says, where we're going, we won't need roads, you know? Um, for everybody in our generation, uh, the, in our age group, when we saw Back to the Future, it was in uh, VHS or DVD or on TV. And everybody remember the first time we ever saw it and every time we've ever seen it, at the end of that movie when he goes, where we're going, we won't need roads, the actual title card comes up that says, like, you know, to be continued. Like, there's an actual, like, thing that says there's going to be another movie. In the actual theatrical release of the first Back to the Future, that did not exist. The movie right. just ended without saying, oh, there's going to be more. It just o left it open to say it was a neat idea. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale were like, yeah, it, he has a time machine. You can go anywhere, you know? And right. that's just the fun of that movie. But then, of course, they were like, okay, this movie is the most successful fucking thing ever. We need to make more. Where th they didn't intend to make a sequel. Nobody knew Back to the Future was going to work. I mean, th there's a whole slew of behind-the-scenes stuff with Back to the Future that almost never got made because everybody was like, this is fucking weird. Why are you making a movie about wouldn't it be crazy to know that your parents were horny, you know? Um, <laughs> and, and, then it, and then it's like it becomes so successful, they make sequels. But then by the 90s, and I think this, this, the genre, uh, the, the idea that this movie, Crank, should be satirizing is that they were expecting to make sequels, you know? Um, and it still happens today. You know, we talked about it with Artemis Fowl on the Patreon. Like, that, that movie is literally just a trailer for another movie, you know? Right, which never got made. Of course, yes. Such a fucking disaster. Thank God it never got made. <laughs> um, but it's like, that, that, once again, should be what they're doing here. And what I want them to be doing here, where they, he blinks and his heart beats and you go, it's like, ha-ha, okay, you know, we know there's going to be more because it's an action movie. Um, but... You know, like we said, that's 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 just part of it. That just adds to this layer of uh, how I think this is probably you know a few degrees off of being wonderful. <laughs> sure, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, Ben. I did I did find one moment in my notes. I I was laughing very very much at this. Uh, Jason Statham doing coke off the bathroom floor while the guy is commenting on it. Because Jason Statham is like his his he's all about to die. His veins are resting over, and he's he's like can't 
handle the Coke bag and he's ripping it open and he's like just like mashing it together into like a little pile on the bathroom floor. And the whole time the guy he got the Coke from is like, oh, dude, no, don't do that. That's gross. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> also, the, not wrong. also the line when, um, you know, Jason Statham's like, you got any Coke? And he's like, what? You know, and he's like, I need it. I need it to survive. And he's like, you saying this is medicinal Coke or something like that? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, medicinal use Coke. Just give me some Coke. Okay, you got any Coke? Okay, so now you're going to just come up in here and insult me. Come on, I don't have time. Just give me something. I'm really dying here. I can see that. If you don't understand, I'm really fucking dying. You saying this is medicinal use Coke? Is that what you're saying? That's right. Well, what? This shit ain't free, nigga. That's enough. Look, you gonna do this shit right here? Chevy, come on. Oh, God. Chevy. Oh, what the? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That's good, right? Uh <clears throat> oh, yeah. That, that's all. It's all good. Good fun. And I mean, you know, even that whole scene when uh, he he like busts in to get that guy, the the guy who I quoted at the start of this episode. I don't remember his, his name in the movie. Um, but like Jason Statham gets all those guns pointed at his head which is just like we mentioned earlier a running thing for Jason Statham he gets guns pointed at his head he makes right. it he makes it look damn good you know absolutely <laughs> makes it look badass absolutely um you, you want to have guns pointed at you yeah yeah you know it's <laughs> yeah. like you see someone smoking in a movie and you're like that looks cool i should get a cigarette i i'm i, I see i see Jason Statham movies like crank and stuff like that revolver especially uh, any guy Ritchie movie really with Jason Statham and i'm like Maybe maybe I would look cool with a gun pointed at my head, you know? And then, then I go down dark alleyways in, in Denver, and I hope I get mugged so I can look badass before I give my wallet up, I guess. Because I, I can't – I'm not going to make it past that, you know? i got to have someone take a picture of me, like Peter Parker Spider-Man style. Right. <laughs> Just show off. That'll be my Tinder profile picture, me with a gun pointed at my head. <laughs> it's probably not allowed. <laughs> I, probably not allowed. Uh, I don't know that it would – get you much action if it got me any action it would be from the wrong people people i don't want yeah, action from i think yeah. <laughs> people that maybe are not looking for action and should be or <laughs> now that we've know, said looking for know, action i can only think of the kasabian song yeah, that's yeah, when I'm we saying. say it that many times it just that uh, that 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 beat that repeats for eight minutes just i um, now is stuck in my head for the rest of the night absolutely <laughs> I have to say also, I want to mention the moment. I really like it. Uh, I think it adds to some of the satire, but I, I think it's a really neat moment when Statham takes the whole uh, adrenaline shot, the whole EpiPen shot, and then uh, he just runs for a good bit. 
Like it's just shots of him running, and while um, "Tricks Are for Kids" by the crowd is playing, um, right. I, I think that's a fun scene, and I think that's where I'm I'm still in the mindset of satire and commentary, where I'm like, oh, he, he's this whole little point of the movie is just he's expelling energy, like they're just being that blunt about it, you know. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and then that leads him to which I really like. I like that he sees his um, the little news story about the um, the rampage that he's causing through the city. Um, that there's like consequences to his actions that people are like, you know, this madman has been on a rampage, rampage since 9 a.m., you know? <laughs> when else are you going to go on a rampage? <laughs> you wake up, that's, that's Satham's 9 to 5. He rampages, absolutely. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're going to wait to start your rampage? Like, <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous idea. Yeah, yeah. I, you mentioned it with the, the goofiness of him distracting, or Amy Smart being distracted, and you were like, and him killing the goons. You were like, that seems like it's right out of another movie. I also think, once again, I can't place it exactly, but in the final showdown, when Don Kim's gang member shows up, Jason Statham does the finger gun, and when he everybody laughs at oh, him, and when he goes yeah. boom, and then the actual gunshot goes off, that I also feel I've seen somewhere, right? Like, that seems like I, I fucking have, I don't know if it was before, like, chronologically before Crank, after Crank, but I'm like, that seems so familiar, you know? Definitely, it's it's been done... Like like you said, I I don't know before after whatever, but it's definitely been done. Yeah, yeah. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm I'm feeling like there's a movie. Fuck, was it in Predator? Like, did we did we get that kind of thing with the sniper setup in Predator? That sounds right. That might be why it was so. That it might be in the Predator. You're right because they when they're doing in that big showdown when everybody starts dying, um, that seems like something like that happens for sure. Yeah. Oh and, God. Okay. Well, Crank did it better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also did it first. Yes. Was, yes. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> was a long way. Uh, okay. Yeah. That actually sounds really right. But I, I have like bl- blocked the Predator from my from my brain oh, very oh. quickly. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. Right on. Um, if there's if there's nothing any other moments or anything you wanted to uh, to mention with this movie, I figured we'd give a uh, oh oh. There's one more before I get to that. Um, just to set it up for later. Um, when Statham is going to the final showdown on the roof of that hotel, there's the scene where he like has the the mental breakdown um, in the elevator with the Asian guy, and he starts mm-hmm. hearing all the voices and stuff like that. Just want to set that up because in this movie, Jason Statham has a mental breakdown in an elevator. Uh, a year earlier, he has a mental breakdown in an elevator in Revolver, which we will get to eventually. Um, oh. So two two Statham movies where he freaks out in an elevator. Um, the freak out oh, in... Oh, scary, man. Uh, yes, LaShawn would agree. LaShawn hates elevators. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just wanted, I was watching this. I was like, oh man, Statham freaking out in elevators. Look at that. The freak out in Revolver is one of the best scenes in that movie, and it is wild. Like, it's really tense. Um, can't wait to get to it. Um, but I figured if there's nothing else about Crank before we get to our questions, um, we should talk a little bit about the sequel uh, because I don't think we're ever going to get to it or anything like that. Because uh, there's no third one, so we can't do it in the uh, in the series you mentioned earlier of the um, the middle movies or anything like that. Um, if I remember correctly, Ben, I believe you said once offhandedly, maybe a long time ago, you don't like the second one. Is that true, or am I misremembering that? Um, I, my memory of it is that it was not very good. Okay, okay. I, I've uh, only seen that one once. Like I said, I did the double feature, and I, I know Bai Ling is in it. I like Bai Ling as an actress. She's like the head of one of the asian gangs that they encounter he encounters in that movie um but i I have mentioned it many times for some reason in because i think the premise of that movie of course it's high voltage he has to stay electrified because he has like a synthetic heart or something mechanical heart or something like that 
Um, so he has to keep his he has to keep juiced up juice. Uh, and so uh, there's a moment at the end of that movie. I think the villain is like a family member of Ricky Verona, who's trying to get revenge on Chev Chelios. And okay. if I remember correctly, in the final showdown in the movie, it's revealed that Ricky Verona's head was saved from the accident at, uh, from the end of this movie. And there's a reveal that Ricky Verona's head is hooked up like in a jar with liquid to like a bunch of medical devices, but it can still talk. Okay. And so there's a moment, I will never forget this. I'll find the clip. I have it saved because I've, I've used it a few times before where like from in, in the actual like liquid, the head of Ricky Verona says like, and it's gurgly because it's underwater. Like, fuck you, Chev Chelios. <laughs> and it's, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I've seen that before. Hello, Ricky. Why do we go on like this, Ricky? Hurting each other. Water? Did you say water? Um, it's one of the only things that stands out to me about that movie from the first time I saw it. But I, I, I am like, head in a jar. And maybe, maybe re-watching the second one, which I did not do for this recording... Maybe rewatching the second one will give me a sense if this is satirical or not. Because I think that the second one is just, if I remember my thoughts on it, over the top for over the top's sake, you know? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the fact that it has a sequel at all makes me think that it's not satirical. Mm, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would be intrigued to uh, to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you yeah. Maybe I'll like. maybe I'll give it a rewatch if I have some time. I mean, it's short. That's the thing about these movies. They're they go by quick and they're short and stuff. And you know, so yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about the sequel. I mean, I like I said, I didn't rewatch it for this. Maybe I'll check it out um, if I get the chance. But uh, yeah, have you seen the? Uh, did you see the sequel in theaters when it came out? I think what two thousand nine. I think I did. Okay. Okay. Right on. Right on. That would have been my last year in high school. Uh, I think I did decide to check it out in the theaters. Um, I, well, let me put it this way. I can't imagine why it wouldn't have. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> a, a kid in high school, like, what the fuck am I doing? You know? Yeah, yeah. And if you like the first one so much, you know. Okay, right on. Well, Ben, if there's nothing else, uh, are you ready for our, our questions? Yeah. Okay, yeah. right on. Well, I think uh, this is pretty, I think, pretty easy for me. Uh, for Cinemodities, I'm going to go no. I think even if it was like a really like pointed satire, if it pushed it to the 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 where I want this movie to go, and like you know just push the uh, the the clock hands to midnight to make it that satire, I still don't think I would call it a cinematity. I mean, it's crazy, it's over the top, whether that's satirical or not. I think there's just something like we were saying about like our nature, even for me as someone who's not a big action movie guy or sees them a lot as just turn your brain off movies. This is just very much just another one to me. Um, even if it was satirical, like I said, I don't think that would make it odd. I think it would make it clever and great, but I don't think it would make it odd. Um, late night, though, dude, I'm I'm a full yes for late night with this. This is easy. This is quick. I think there's an actual like layer of discussion to this to be like, you know, if you're with the right people to be like, is this satirical or not? Like, what is this? Is this pushing the envelope in a smart way or a dumb way type of thing? Um, and also, like I said at the start, this is not... I don't think this is a bad movie. I think this is a good watch. I ended up giving it three and a half stars. I really enjoyed watching this movie. Um, what do you think for Cinemodities in Late Night? Uh, I, 
I'm surprised you don't think it's odd that they basically at one point just put a camera in a blender. Um, <laughs> they did. They did do that, and and they and they zoomed in too far. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, I don't know. I I think it's. I, I definitely think that it, that it's a movie that I I would. Sh- it's it's know your audience. That's that's okay. What it is. Okay. Sure. Sure. And I, in terms of being odd, no, it's it's not really odd. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, but no, I think know your audience. Yeah. If if you got somebody who likes Jason Statham, you can be like, hey, check out this Jason Statham movie that maybe you haven't seen yet. Yeah, that's a that's a good enough. a good point. Like, definitely, if they haven't seen it, be like, this is you've heard about it. This is, this is one to see for sure. You know? Um, and it's definitely where like my, my go-to Jason Statham, like if someone was like, Oh, I want to watch a Jason Statham movie. I think it's pretty neat. Like we were talking about the start where you could be like, well, do you want to see an action Jason Statham? Or do you want to see like more of a, like a heady philosophical or, you know, psychological Jason Statham where I'd say like, of course he has a slew of action movies. Um, but then you have things like revolver, um, the, really, the Guy Ritchie movie, Wrath of Man doesn't count. Wrath of Man is an action movie. Um, but, like, even Snatch. Like, Snatch is, has action, but that's like a crime heist movie, and there's a lot of dialogue, and you really got to follow it, you know, and, and to understand all the interactions between those characters. Um, right. Where uh, Crank, or, like, the mechanic, or the transporter, um, or Parker, the one that I mentioned, I'm sure it's just like, hey, you just want to be able to, like, watch an action movie and talk during it, you know, that type of thing. Right. Um, like I said, I, I, I will, when we when we eventually get to Revolver, which has to happen because it's one of my favorite movies ever. Um, I, I love the fact that you know I, I showed that to my roommates in college after I found it, and I remember we finished that movie, which is two hours long. And Nick was like, he turned to me and was like, at no point during watching that did I have any idea what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I know, I love it. <laughs> Yeah, so you got your you got your two Jason Statham's, and if you got someone for a late night movie, and they're like want to watch a Jason Statham, and they want the action one, Crank's a if they haven't seen Crank, Crank's a good one to go to for sure. For sure. Um, okay, then that brings us to the restaurant. Um, I, I mentioned some of them earlier, so we can get those out of the way. Um, medicinal use cocaine. I, I see no reason why we should not have um, you know uh, medical grade coke medical grade cocaine. I don't know what that would be. <laughs> Um, I, and I mentioned it also, the thing that the cab driver gives them. Uh, I also love that line, as it's called, hardcore shit made from plant shit. <laughs> uh, we should have some of that. And also, uh, as it's said by Ricky Verona at the start of the movie, the thing that he injects uh, Chev Chelios with, uh, high-tech sci-fi Chinese bullshit. <laughs> yeah, they did, they did come up with a lot of um, in- interesting names and or sound effects to describe things. Yep, uh, I yep. think at one point uh, Verona says, "Ooh, ooh yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Chinese bullshit." Yeah, and I, I um, think even in the final showdown when they're like, when what one of them busts out the needle, right? And they're like, "We're gonna finish it off. We're gonna, we're gonna." He's gonna inject him with more of the of the stuff. He says, "Like you know what I got here? The Chinese shit." You know, and it's like yeah. that's just the nomenclature for this. This once again, that's why I'm thinking. It's it's satirical. It's a commentary. Not to harp on it again, but it's like they they just like it's just a plot device. It's just the plot device of the movie. They don't give it any any commentary. Even uh, Dwight Yoakam, the, the doctor, the he, doctor does. He says that it that it uh, binds with the adrenal inhibitors or something. He does, but or, then Jason Statham's like Doc. I don't. Doesn't he say something like Doc? Whatever, and he's like, it's Chinese shit. They inject you with the Chinese shit, you know. 
maybe. I, I, um, I, okay, yeah. I, like I said, we, yeah. the doctor <laughs> does try to try to give it a little bit of uh, uh, what like credibility. It's just like yeah, yeah. Well, and he says some shit that doesn't make sense. Like he's like it binds with the adrenal receptors. So that he has to keep his system flooded with with adrenaline, so that his I guess so his receptors can can still get some even though they're blocked, which that doesn't make sense. Um, but it also doesn't make sense that that blocking your adrenaline receptors would do anything to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only thing it would do, I think, uh, from what I from the little bit of research I did, is that it would make you less susceptible to fight or flight responses. Oh, okay, okay. But I but I don't think that it would like kill you. Sure. Uh, it might lead to your death because you don't run away from things or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> it might, it might look, make you look like you're never afraid. Um, although I'm not entirely sure that that's the way it would go down either. But, you know, whatever. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Another uh, actual... So those things, so high-tech high sci-fi Chinese bullshit, medicinally used cocaine, hardcore shit made from plant shit. That's good, like, you know, appetizers, maybe, maybe some type of, like, you know, like a uh, little... I don't know, like the mint at the end, you get some hardcore some shit, shit made from plant shit, you know, that type of thing. Um, I definitely, as a menu item for sure, I think that uh, we should offer a hand waffle, which is a human hand that has been cooked in a waffle iron. <laughs> Absolutely. Hand waffles. <laughs> hand waffle. That sounds kind of dirty. That sounds like it'd be something if you Google, you might get some NSFW results or something right, like some, that, you know? Like waffle uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, waffle... For people in our generation, coming up on the internet has some strange connotations. <laughs> I have some others, but what do you what do you have for the uh, restaurant, Ben? <laughs> uh, I think that we need some like some nasal spray. Some oh, good. Okay. Nasal spray. Good. We're on the same page. That was going to be one of mine. So, so I I was thinking that we could even like not even we should have some of the epinephrine ones and stuff like that. That'll you know Jason Statham like just does a bunch of like I love that he when he sits down with Amy Smart at the uh, Chinatown restaurant he's just cranking nasal spray. I was thinking that we could also like find like other things that we could like what aerosolize or whatever to like turn into a nasal spray. Sure. So maybe it's uh, like we could like grind sriracha? it. Yeah, I was going to say jalapenos or something like that, but definitely <laughs> like something spicy to shoot up your nice. nostril, you know? <laughs> because nice. then we could do something even like maybe it's like a flight of nasal sprays, you know? <laughs> check out, come check out the different nasal sprays. Yeah. They're yeah. <laughs> saucy. I, I don't know if you remember this, but this memory from very long time ago came flooding back to me when I was thinking about what to do with nasal sprays in the restaurant. Do you remember the show King of Queens with Kevin James? Yeah. I am pretty sure that there's an episode of King of Queens where the wife's father, Leia Ramini plays the wife, and I think her father is played by Jerry Stiller. The father is definitely played by Jerry Stiller. I don't remember if it was Kevin James's father or Leia Ramini's father. But I am, I am very certain that it's King of Queens where Jerry, there, uh, an episode is about how Jerry Stiller gets addicted to nasal spray. Does this <laughs> sound familiar at all? Um, not necessarily, okay. but it I, sounds pretty dope. I did. <laughs> I have to look, I didn't look it up before this because I figured it'd be something where I'm going to look it up, maybe do a correction and see if I can find like a good cliff or something, but I'm pretty sure that's King of Queens and there's a plot about the father being addicted to nasal spray. Um, so I have to say, I don't even know where to watch King. That's got to be on like Paramount Plus or something like that, I'm sure. Um, or maybe on Tubi. Who knows? That show's so so old now. Um, I got to see <laughs> if I can Queens find was, that. was pretty decent, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, I feel like I watched a lot of it when I was like really young, you know? Sure. Like, like middle, like late elementary school, early middle school. Like it was that 
Everybody Loves Raymond were like in syndication on some of those shows, and or maybe not syndication, right. but probably syndication because those shows went on forever. But it would be like the the five p.m. or six p.m. time slot after the uh, the block of TNT Law and Order was over. I'd watch King of Queens and shit like that, you know. Yeah, and Yes, yeah. dear. Remember Yes, dear? Right, and uh, <laughs> I I think I also watched like the the Reba show. Oh sure, yeah. yeah, which I'm pretty sure yeah. was just called Reba, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. God, those had, those weird, uh, weird uh, multi-cam sitcoms from back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> strange artifacts of our generation. Yes, yes. Um, I do know it. It, it was another episode. Uh, this has stuck with me my whole life. Um, I would never like when I was younger. What? Okay, when we were younger, kids newspapers were a much bigger deal than they are now you know and so <laughs> okay hold on that reminds me of of a, a joke somebody telling their their granddaughter like you know when before you were born we uh netflix used to mail us dvds oh, and yeah. then we, <laughs> like when i was your age i used to get the internet in the mail yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so children now everybody listen you know hey kids uh, newspapers were a much bigger deal back in the day, um, and I I always hated touching. Used to be real. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, what is that? yeah journalism as a whole used to be real, Ben. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, I always hated touching newspapers because they would like get my hands dirty, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a disgusting feeling. Yeah, and I I always hated that. You know, I've always been my whole life. I've always been someone like that, where you know, I I don't like even like really messy foods eating them with my hands because I don't like my hands getting dirty. Like I am a, uh, like I like to use silverware and stuff like that. Um, And I would never like to touch newspapers because it would get my hands all inked up. There is a a line in a King of Queens episode where I think that Jerry Stiller, the father, once again, is like turning newspaper pages with like tongs or something. And (laughs) and Kevin James or whoever is like, why are you doing that? And And Jerry Stiller in his very Jerry Stiller, you know, old jewish man because that's who he's playing and that's who he is in real life you know he's like he's like i don't like to touch the pages because the cheap ink gets my hands dirty you know (laughs) and that just stuck with me because i was like i relate to that (laughs) i I don't know that i've ever thought of of the ink as i know yeah but that's that's the funny part of it he's like the cheap ink gets my hands dirty you know (laughs) it certainly does it is a touching newspapers is a disgusting feeling um so okay we got nasal spray i had that one too the last one i had um it's it's when jason statham robs the convenience store um he he steals the energy drinks and he steals that thing that's by the counter called blaster fuel whether or not we know that blaster we see him like taking pills when he's in the cab again um so i just figured we'd have energy drinks like as a beverage at the restaurant but we we have added blaster fuel to it so it's like an energy (laughs) energy drink type of thing sure um, there's definitely a scene in this movie where he just like downs like half a bottle of pills in an elevator. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, we, we probably need uh, like a pill cocktail to go with that energy, yes. with the blaster fuel energy drink. <laughs> I think so it's when get... um he uh, he gets the pills from the doctor, and that's when he has the uh, he trips out in the elevator, and he starts yeah. hearing all the voices, and then he like realizes he's just tripping out, and he goes like like some pills, doc, or something like that, you know? Yeah, um, no, yeah, you're right, you're right. It's not in the hospital. It's uh. Yeah, so I think I think that that would be great if we can just be like, you know, you you get a blaster fuel energy drink and you and you get to use that to take a handful of pills. Yes, I like that. <laughs> that's um, like that's like the the energy experience. You know, you take a bunch of pills, wash it down with energy drink with blaster fuel in it. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. 
that's uh energy is your new life that's um I, you, like I think you can actually officially change your name to to oh what is it kyle is that the punches holes in walls oh yeah 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 absolutely shit? yeah <laughs> it also makes me think of the um when what fry drinks the hundred cups of coffee or whatever in futurama and he can he can move at super speed and he saves everybody from the fire <laughs> oh yes that that's we that's how we sell this. We say you will you will be able to you know slow time or you'll see time slowed type of thing. <laughs> no, I I don't think that we say that you'll see time slowed. I think that we say this is how you figure out if you're actually a superhero. Okay, there you go. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> if, if the way your body responds to this much caffeine is to slow down time, then you're probably a superhero. When are we gonna get that? as a superhero origin story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough of this... He's drank too much caffeine. Yeah, enough of this being bit by radioactive spiders, enough of this, you know, getting hit with radioactive waste and shit like that. I want someone who's just cramming for finals and takes maybe one too many Adderall. Adderall. Yeah, you know? (laughs) Well, if you are familiar with the, uh, the teenager who died from drinking four Red Bulls and then playing a game of basketball, um... (laughs) You'll probably understand that that is lawsuit territory. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So we're probably never going to get that. I'm not saying that that's right. I just think that's the way it's going to be. Um, sure, sure. I also think that we we might have the technology to figure this out in real life, but we we just aren't offering it in the way that it should be. You know, so what I'm thinking is maybe you get superpowers by drinking like a non-multiple of four loco. You know, because you can have four loco, you can have eight loco, you can have 12 loco, you can have 16 loco. Maybe 16 loco kills you. Maybe we need 15 loco. But you can't buy a three loco, so you can't reach that threshold. We're not... It's like, maybe... It's like, okay, maybe I need 12-hour energy, but I can only get five, 10, or 15-hour energy. Like, why are we limiting ourselves here, people? (laughs) Yeah, what is... You need, like, what, one... Or no, two, three, and five no you don't need five because you can get that from two and three <laughs> uh i don't know i think two and three might be enough I don't, or I don't maybe remember. that's what the fda is actually hiding from us they won't let these companies produce like a three loco or a five loco because you know multiples of four are safe or dead <laughs> we don't want any superheroes out here <laughs> and can you blame them superheroes are difficult to deal with that's, what the, that's from the government the civil war movie. keeping us down the government's keeping us down they're not letting us have an odd number of locos <laughs> Uh, sorry. Right, so, with that in mind, do we need to add an odd number loco to our I think, menu? I, yeah, yeah. You read my mind. I think that's what we got to figure out how to do. We got to figure out how to how to extract. It's like that that old problem where it's like you know you have a three gallon bucket and a five gallon bucket. How do you get four gallons or whatever it is? You know, it's like right, okay, it's our, like we have <laughs> we only have four gallon buckets and we <laughs> we only have four multiple of four locos. We need our R and D department to get on. How do we extract a three loco or a one loco? Start with a unit of loco. Well, That'd be if good. you had a unit loco, then, I mean that's easy, right? Like easy street. Then we're yeah. So but we got to figure it out. This is we got to crack it. Okay, divert some anybody out there if you're donating. To, you know, all those ribbon charities for, you know, breast cancer awareness, for, you know, whatever all those... I know the ribbons have different colors or different charities. Divert it. We got to send it to the Cinemodities restaurant. We got to figure out how to distill some locos. (laughs) How do you separate a four loco into four one locos? It's a question. I mean, or a one and a... 
a, and a three. Sure. Like we don't. Sure. It doesn't have to be. We don't have to get greedy. They don't all have to be units. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got to figure it out. We got to figure it out. I, I I think Ben, that's a glowing, glowing reason to sign up for the Cinemodities Patreon, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. For that research alone, <laughs> so that we can become superheroes by having uh, non multiples of four logos. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. This, this uh, usually we get off topic on some goofy tangents. This is actually fits very well with Crank, I would say, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what this movie actually should have been. Is that Chef Chelios drank too many uh, four locos at a party, <laughs> and and that he uh, his body now can't can't understand adrenaline because it had too much in it. So now he has to flood it even more. Yeah. Yep. And then he's just like trying to figure out how to deal with withdrawals. <laughs> <'Cause> that's... <laughs> That's that's what it should have been. Oh, right on, right on. Anything else? Then, uh, oh, yeah, go for it. Well, and then, then he's he's like not being chased or killed by anybody. He's like trying to hunt down the four locos people to figure out what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then he stumbles on on a room of like with government tape all over it. That's about you know the hidden locos. The, yes, yes. <laughs> Deep in the uh, the FDA vault, the hidden locos. Yeah, the um, the the uh, the odd numbered and fractional locos. <laughs> oh God! Don't even get me started on the irrational. Locos. Yes, there you go. Absolutely. Um, the transcendental locos. <laughs> yeah, the, when you when you get transcendental locos, like that's that's when you know, like there's nobody above you. <laughs> nobody can do what you just did. Oh God, that's good. That's good. <laughs> the imaginary locos. <laughs> oh no, you don't want an imaginary. Oh God! That's, you want them to be real locos? That's, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's the uh, that's the end of the uh, of the first movie. He finds the imaginary loco. It sets up the sequel. Absolutely. That's, yeah. <laughs> oh I mean. God! Anything else for the restaurant, man? <laughs> <laughs> I think we got our, our work cut out for us with the locos. <laughs> um, you know, honestly, uh, bathroom floor Coke sounds oh, pretty good. Sure, sure. Maybe maybe that's uh, since we already have, I've mentioned the medicinal use Coke. Maybe that's how it's um medicinally provided you have to do it off the bathroom floor type of thing you know i i expect that i mean we're just being assholes about where how or what we can do with coke but i don't know they'll figure it out I guess. yeah okay that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> like like the waiter or whoever puts the coke on the bathroom floor and then when the person is doing it off the bathroom floor the waiter is commenting on on how gross they are for doing it off the bathroom floor oh yeah definitely making fun of them like yes. Dude, what the fuck's wrong with you yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, funny scene. Funny scene. Um, all right. Well, yeah, anything and, else? Uh, we probably need some black ass on the menu. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, a, that's a rough one right there. <laughs> black ass. Yeah, what, what can you do? Do. That's fair. That's some black ass. For most things know. that we have in the restaurant. Well, what, what can you do? You know, health inspector comes in. You say, what is this? Eh, you know, what can you do? <laughs> this room is very dirty. Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> you wanted to, you, did you want me to clean something? Yeah, right, you know. <laughs> there are, there, <laughs> that'd actually be great if someone is like, you know, someone is inspecting like an area and they'd be like, you know, they go to pick up a bottle of bleach. But the or like a spray bottle, you know, of like Clorox or just bleach or something like that. And they, they lift it up. It's empty. And they go, this is. This is empty. And you go, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, you know, they said we had to buy cleaning products. They didn't say we had to keep buying cleaning products. Exactly. I bought it. I have the receipt. You know, it's from six years ago, but I got it. <laughs> uh, what's that? Is it Nicki Minaj? Like, I want it. I bought it. It's just that. Oh, about, sure. Yeah. <laughs> about bleach. 
And then, and then the inspector's like, well, at least you used one bottle. And be like, no, someone drank that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the one suicide we had <laughs> right? came on that same week. Yeah. <laughs> we're, pretty, we're pretty thrilled with that record, though. You know, only one suicide. Like only, that's... only one. Well, with all that being said, I think, once again, let's, uh, let's hit it harder. If you want to pay us to research the Locos, the units of Loco, the fraction of Locos, we, we want to get it started. That's research that needs to be done you can always support us and, in exchange, get a whole bunch of new episodes to listen to through the Cinemodities Patreon. Um, we've done a Jason Statham movie on there before. Uh, when it came out in theaters, we did Wrath of Man, the uh, the newest Guy Ritchie at the time of this recording. Hopefully, when it's released, we'll have some more information on uh, his next Jason Statham movie, uh, Operation Fortune. Um, but Wrath of Man, we talk a lot about Statham. We talk a lot about Guy Ritchie in that one. So go check it out with a whole bunch of other episodes that is well worth listening to if you like hearing and Ben and I uh, go loco. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah, we go loco. Yeah, we go loco real hard. No, I, I <laughs> we definitely, you know, always, always love the support. We love taking requests from people and, and watching movies that we aren't even on our radar or yeah. in some cases are have been on our radar for so long that they uh, have disappeared and never would have been watched if, if somebody hadn't brought them back up. And, and so we really appreciate uh, what our viewers can do or what our patrons can do for us in terms of getting us to see uh, other content that we you know, may otherwise have missed. And we greatly appreciate all of, all of your support. Uh, and even if you don't want to, to pay to support us, you can always drop a line at our email, and mm-hmm. we're happy to hear from you. And uh, you know, just happy to hear that that people are interested in what we're doing. Yeah, if you have the uh, if you have an inside line on the uh, the hidden loco vault at the FDA you know repository wherever the FDA is centered, um, I was about to say Atlanta, but I was like, no, that's the CDC, <laughs> where the locos might be. Who knows if they're superhero creating? You know, um, if you have any info, email us cinematics@gmail.com. We uh, we will definitely. Um, give you uh, mi- minimal payback for giving us that information. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, if, if if you actually give us uh, a tip that leads to the production of fractional locos, um, <laughs> you know, like or at least like even even if it's just all the ge- geometric ones or whatever, um, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll probably find a way to waive the Patreon fee for you. Oh, okay, yeah, there yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you want to be involved in that research, if you if you have a breakthrough, like you will. You learn. All right. Well, with that being said, we're going to continue on with some Statham in the next episodes. I don't think no, I don't think we know what's coming next, but we're doing some Statham. And Ben, I figured if we want to end this episode, I think uh, the song I mentioned before, which I love, "Tricks Are for Kids" by the Crowd, when Statham's running, we can play that in reverse. How does that sound? Sounds great. Okay, we'll go loco. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>